Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hello, partygoers, and welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. And my name is Mary Dedrick. And Mary Dedrick is named Dedrick because she's my daughter. And the point of this show is that we listen to music that I made, uh, in, well, I made mixtapes with music on them, and we listen to those mixtapes. And then we make comments about them, and we listen to the songs, and we have a lot of fun mm-hmm. together. Right, yes. Mary? Yep. Yep. Whew. What a lot of work. Yeah, that was a definitely a faster uh, explanation than usual. Yeah, I just thought I'd get it out of the way. Sure, zip through it. I think most people know. Eh. But yeah. what the heck. Also. In case you're new. Also, like, you know, whatever, even if you don't, you don't really need to know the backstory of a podcast, right? Don't you? No. There's some podcasts that explain it every time, like, for instance, The Flophouse. True. They, ex- they explain their overriding principle each and every episode, Mary. They do. And that's why they're a popular show. Mm. We don't, which mm. is why we're a disaster. We do explain every episode, though. We don't. We often forget. Do we? And then people are like, I don't know what's going on. I We're talking that. about music on the show. I, I don't get it. Huh. What's going on? I'm out of here. Hmm. So long, suckers. Geronimo! Maybe we should. Were they were they listening to it in a plane and now they're jumping out of the plane? <laughs> yes. They, that is quite a dislike for a show. Well, they were wearing a parachute. It's okay. Oh, okay. okay. It's okay. It was like a planned jump. It was a planned jump. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Good. Well, I wouldn't say it was a planned jump. I'd say that they were prepared oh, okay. for the reaction they're, to the show. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So they must have, they must have listened before then. <laughs> no, no, no. They're just like, I don't know. Well, they've listened to podcasts before and they're like, oh. I don't know if I'm going to like this show or not. Right. I better wear a parachute. They're like, I better have an exit case. strategy. I don't know how to press pause. <laughs> just in case I'm on a plane and I want to just get away, uh, get away from this podcast, I'll wear a parachute. Hmm. Geronimo. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Maybe we should have like a zippy little like single single sentence that we say at the beginning of each episode. Like, for instance, my brother, my brother and me says that they're an advice show for the modern era. You know what? Hmm? I have a better idea. Hmm? Let's have one word that sums up the show. And that word is MACLIC. What does MACLIC mean? I don't know. It just sums up the show. Is it an acronym? Nope. For music and... I hope you spell it right. Well, how do you? Sp- I send you the notes earlier. How did you spell? How I you- emailed you all this information, Mary, I'm and just, I said, "I'm just we're saying, going to use Maclick as the word of the show now." You used my yeah. well. You used one of my least favorite sounds. What's that? K- oh, really? Could be C. Could be K. <laughs> how do I know? Could be C H in some cases. I want you. To- could be C K. It's a ridiculous sound. I want you to be English. aware that this this word is um I spelled it in, in, in a la Esperanto. What do you, how do you, what is, what is Esperanto? Esperanto is the universal language. No, no, sorry. I know what Esperanto is. How does Esper, how would Esperanto spell it? I'm not too sure, actually. I just spelled it the way they would spell it, though. Which is? I'm going to assume they would leave out the K. Why would they leave out the K? Because they're a universal language. Mm. And they just said, we don't need no Ks. They also, they're terrible at grammar, by the way. I. Esperanto speakers. This is, this is. That's the problem with Esperanto. Consistently the hill that I die on. Okay. But C is the least. Uh, Mary. Or C is the C, most useless letter in the English language. You could not spell circle. Yes, you could. How? With an S and a K. That would be terrible looking. No, it wouldn't be. It would be fine looking. You'd get used to it. How about it. circus? 
Circus, again, C and a K. No, disaster. Yes. No, it's fine. C yeah. is the only letter in the alphabet that does not have a unique sound. How about the word knock? Knock. You would just take out the C. There's a K that's making the sound already. Why don't you just take the out... The C is completely Why not just drop extraneous. the K? The K is also extraneous. No, it is not because K has a unique sound. C does not have a unique sound. C either duplicates uh-huh. the sound of an S yeah. or the sound of a K. It should be spelled N-O-C. No. Because then it could be knock or it could be nos. Oh. Right? I see what you're saying. C, you don't know how it's going to be pronounced. What about the word can? K. Can't do that. Yes, you can. No, because you're going to wreck people's trademarks. Don't care. Don't care about <laughs> trademarks. You know who's going to love this, though? Yeah. Who's Craft. Craft. Yeah. Because they're going to be C now. C-R-A-F-T. Yep. No, no, no. Because they always were K-R-A-F-T. Oh. Well, they, maybe they won't like it because then they'll be like everyone else. Oh, yeah. Well, sorry, Kraft. Their individuality is gone. with it. Yeah. Yep. I don't know about this, Mare. No, it's good. It's a very German sentiment. That's... And I'm all about the French. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> um. Well, I'm glad you have a hill to die on, and I'm glad Thanks. that also letter C. Yes, it does. You know, if if one is going to die on a hill, one might as well do it over a sure. letter of the alphabet. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite <laughs> things that I... Uh, it's like a um, thing that I see people say on the internet, which is weird hit, hill to die on, but at least you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> is this something you bring up at parties? Is this something uh, you bring up with people that don't know you or expect this to come up? No. You keep I, this I under would, your hat. Yes. This this is uh, this is more of a stage four friendship level level yeah. uh, level argument. Okay, I've got a I've got a word for you that you couldn't spell with a K. Okay. Hatch. Hatch. You couldn't do the ch sound. It's not a sh sound. Mm. It's not hatch. Mm-hmm. It's hatch. Hatch. Yeah. No, you just do T S H. Hatchet. T S H. T S H doesn't work. Yes, it does. It's a, not a ch sound. It's a sh sound. Shh. There's a difference between ch, uh-huh. shoot, yeah, and shoot. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So you replace <laughs> the ch sound with T S H. That makes the ch <laughs> oh, sound I now. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. So shh. Oh, Mary, you know what? Yeah. You know Webster. I'm- I think you guys should get in a boat together yeah. and go over a waterfall. <laughs> Why? What's wrong with Webster? Because he's another nut. He's the person who took the U out of humor oh, and neighbor. That's that's boring. Yeah, because he thought all language should like... But, you know, he wanted to go to like the extremes that you you were going. Mm-hmm. He wanted to get rid of all like all evidence that, that any other language has ever spoken in English. But I mean, this weird... as someone who used to be an English tutor... Yeah. If you are tutoring English, yeah. you are working with kids who are struggling with the language. Yes, they are. Trying to explain to them the completely nonsensical rules of <laughs> yeah. reading and writing There are English, no rules in English. It's or... so illogical. Yeah. Like. No, you don't explain, explain the rules. You just say to them, you know what? You just, you have to learn this. Yeah. You just have to memorize. It's all about memory. Oh, yeah. And one day you'll grow up and it won't matter. Mm-hmm. And you can say the word knock mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter. Yep. Because you're just saying it. Yeah. And no one knows that there's a CK at the end of mm-hmm. it. Or that there's a silent K. Yeah. You know? True. You can say the word rhythm. Yeah. And no one will ever say, well, how do you spell that? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if any H's are in it. Yeah. It's a crazy word. It was my it was my killer word in spelling bees when I was a kid. Because you couldn't get it or because you could get it? I, I We did a thing when I was in, in grade, th- grade, th- grade two, grade three, grade four, where we would have spelling bees in class. And mm-hmm. kids would ask a person saying it at the front to spell oh, a word. Oh, so yours was rhythm. And the go-to word at that time as being the most difficult word anyone could ever imagine mm-hmm. spelling was anti-disestablishmentarianism. Stupid. It's just a long word. It's just a long word, exactly. I, wouldn't say only... it was, I don't want to say it was stupid. Mm. It was a pretty clever word for kids of that age to know. Sure. 
you know, obviously they were very concerned about church politics in yes. the Victorian era. They obviously England. just watched Phineas and Ferb. Oh, is that? So it was also a, a word that they would say in Phineas and Ferb sometimes. That's because the, the people were my age, and so they remembered it yeah. being used in school as the go-to killer word. But the go-to mm-hmm. killer word, Mary, mm-hmm. let me yes. tell you right now, is rhythm. Rhythm. Yeah, because how many H's are in it? Exactly. How many Y's? Exactly. What's the vowel in there? It's a Y. <laughs> Why is it a Y? And there's only one vowel in it when yeah. you think there should be two. There should be. Yeah. It's a confusing word. Yeah, and it's, it is it is one of... Because I was looking... Sometimes, sometimes I fall into Wikipedia rabbit holes. Okay. One of the ones that I fell into the other day was... It was like words in the English language that don't have vowels. Okay. And there's like four. Oh. And they're all Welsh. Oh, it's not really English language. That's then. the thing, exactly. And yeah. then the other one was, it was something like fake. It was like an internet word or something, mm-hmm. or not like an internet word, but it was like a word design or from coding. I see. I was like, well, pff. like if you're making a word and you're like, I'm going to make this word that doesn't have vowels to get around that thing, then that's you know, come on, <laughs> come on, get out of here with that. Yeah, yeah. If it's a constructed word like that, is there any words in the English language? I mean, I guess you could argue that rhythm. No, Y is sometimes a vowel. It is sometimes a vowel. Like Y as well. W. H-Y. Mm-hmm. No, sorry. Yes, W-H-Y. And rhythm. More. Try. Cry. There's quite a few words that end in Y, where yeah. that is the only. I guess it's crystal. No, crystal's an A. No, no. C-R-Y-S-T-A-L. Crystal. So in that instance, it's being used as a vowel. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was thinking of words where it was the only vowel. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, that's okay. Yeah, no, you're right. Because, yeah, if it makes the... Trist, then, if you prefer. Trist. Yeah, that's a good one. So when it makes the y sound, yeah. it's a consonant. When it makes the e or i sound, yeah. it's... Or eh, eh, I guess. Trist. It's still a it it's, it's, yeah, it's, an, it's the, basically it's, an I. Yeah, it's basically an I. If you want to argue to get rid of Y as well. If you want to get Y out of our, la- our alphabet as no, well. No, because as Y has a unique sound, which is Y. Yeah. As in yesterday. Yeah. There's no other letter that makes the sound Y. We could re- pre- replace it with the double L, and then we'd be closer to uh, Spanish. No. Like Yama. No. Don't like it? No. Why not? Because it's going away from sounds that we use in it, the English language. Okay. But it's it, see, it's funny thing is, is that... Oh, I guess it's not that funny. The Y is in our alphabet. I guess it's not that funny. <laughs> I meant more interesting or odd, but yeah, no, I mean, I didn't mean hilarious. No, I get it. Obviously, we're talking about letters. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think this. I don't think anything about this intro could be <laughs> called funny. To be fair, for being for being a hundred percent honest here, or interesting, or interesting, <laughs> for being really honest. <laughs> I'm over here like I took two linguistics courses in university. I took one, and one of the reasons I I crashed and burned in university because I hated it so much. You didn't like linguistics, no. What kind of linguistics course did you take? What were you learning? It about? was like an introduction, introduction. So we're learning about the schwa and all that kind of stuff like that, like the mm. pronunciation. Oh, and... that sounds boring. Yeah, it was terrible. I had I took two linguistics courses. Okay. Uh, one of them was about the origins of words, which okay. I found very interesting. Yeah. Because they would like. You would take a word and you would pull it apart and look at the different parts of it and sure. where it came from, yep. which I thought was really cool. Because then you get to like look at the language and that sort of gave me... And the other thing is I have a long time interest in names. That is true. Right? And names all have meanings. Okay. Right? Like my name is Mary. It means bitter. Mm-hmm. Um, my name is David. It means David. Okay. And... <laughs> No, but like every name has a meaning, right? Like they're not all, all right. good. Cameron means crooked nose. What? Yes. Huh. Where does it? Why is that even a name then? That's, yeah. Why is bitter a name, you know? But Mary doesn't mean bitter. Yeah, it does. Hmm. Anyway, so, uh, but the other thing is when you, 
okay. go into it, you can sort of find root words yeah. in names as well, right? Like Theodore means gift of God. Okay. You know what else means gift of God? Dorothy. Huh. Right? So then you're kind of like, oh. Oh, Theodore. Yeah. So you're like, oh, okay. Well, like the, Theo. Yeah. Like theism. Yeah. That must be God. And then door sure. must be gift. Yeah. Right? So then when you have other names that have like the Theo or the door sound in them that are uh-huh. also Greek. So Dorothea would have been like gift of God, like a female version yeah, of that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And uh-huh. yeah, Dor- Dorothea would be the original Greek and then Dorothy is a more anglicized version mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and then you get into names like like Theodosia. Okay. Is like another name that has the same Theo, but it doesn't have door. Sure. Right, so it's like kind of a different name, but it's just it's just interesting. Or the or the person that Luke was writing to for Acts, which is Theo- Theophilus. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's just inter- And then the other thing is like the name Matthew also means gift of God, hmm. but is Hebrew as opposed to Greek. Okay. Right, so it's like just interesting how you sort of can get down into, I don't know, just so I was interested in that class. Yeah. And then the other one that I took was also pretty interesting. It was a bit more sort of. I guess, like, theory-based. Mm. Like, we talked about, like, how kids learn language and stuff. But my prof for that class, I liked her, but she was doing this weird thing, which I really didn't like. Okay. Which was her and her husband had a kid, and they wanted their kid to be multilingual. Okay. And so she exclusively spoke German to her kid. Okay. And her husband exclusively spoke... I think spanish okay or some it was like some other language yeah. to her kid to mm-hmm. their kid mm-hmm. and then she learned english at school hmm. but i was like that seems like a terrible way to live your life <laughs> is when you're like oh i'm talking to mom now i have to talk in german and you're like oh i'm talking to dad i have to talk in spanish yeah and then you're like oh i'm at school i have to talk in english yeah how do you have a conversation all together huh. as a family yeah you know i was like that's so difficult <laughs> so it doesn't seem like I don't know. Like, I guess it's just different from my life, you know. But like, if you're if eat like if you're all talking in a different language and you're trying to have a conversation, like I don't understand people having people trying to like like talk like you are. If I'm talking to you, but I'm talking to you in English, yeah. And you respond to me every time in Spanish. It's just like a weird way to have a conversation, right? It is. I guess if I felt more comfortable speaking in Spanish and you could understand me a little bit and I could yeah. understand English, all right. That would be okay, I suppose, but... Yeah, it just seems, like, difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I just... I, those... That does... Well, you didn't really describe the, the second English linguistic class, but... Yeah, I just found mine... Oh, yeah, sorry. And then we learned stuff like... um, How, like, babies, when they're learning a language... Yeah. There's specific... There's, like, certain sounds in some languages... Yeah. ...that are so unique and specific to the language... Yeah. ...that people who do not speak that language can't even hear it... Hmm. But if you hear that language like spoken before you're six months old, you can pick up on it, hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. Does English have an example of that? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I don't think so. Is it like like the click language for no? It's for like people, there's or? like certain sounds in like I think there's like one in Japanese, like the sound at like the beginning of like tsunami. Okay. I th- think it is an example of that. Okay. The T the T S sound. Yeah. Okay. Or like that's like our closest like English equivalent to it, mm. but it's like it, when they say it in Japanese, it's like a sound that like we can't really register. It. But the other thing is, it's hard to have examples of it because you can't hear mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Interesting. You can't hear the subtle difference or something. Yeah. Yeah. Like if they said like 
they could say like two different words that would sound the same to us, yeah. but to that person would sound different. Cool. Which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, Mayor, that seems to me like the perfect introduction. Oh, but sorry. I just want to oh. say quickly, the way that they would okay. would show that yeah. is they would have babies and they would say the sound. Yeah. And then they would say, and they would like repeat the sound. And then they would say the other sound and the baby would react differently to it. Right? Because they'd be like, oh, that's a new sound. Mm-hmm. But then to babies over six months, they would have the sound and then they would have the different sound and the baby wouldn't react to it because they wouldn't be able to tell that there was a difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I remember watching a video about it. So you have to have to get in early on this, mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. So that was interesting. Anyway, sorry. So you were No, it's say... interesting how early children are learning to speak, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is cool. Hmm. Unfortunately, my linguistics class was deadly dull. I'm sorry to Dull as ditch water. And it really sent me into a tailspin. It's hard. The first history course I took in university was very terrible. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to take any more history courses. But then I took more <laughs> and I ended up majoring in it. So it was yeah. fine. But it's like sometimes you take a course that's so terrible, it just like destroys your interest in that thing, right? Yeah, because I was really enjoying studying languages, but I couldn't... <sighs> It was fun to learn, but everyone kept saying, well, what are you going to do with this? And I had no answer for that. Oh, yeah. And then people well, were like, well, maybe you should take linguistics. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's a good idea. Because I, I love languages. So I guess linguistics it is. Mm-hmm. Blah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have that same question studying. I think you get that question when you're studying, studying any arts. I wish people would stop asking it. Yeah, that's fair. Be more like, oh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Oh, you're learning seven languages? That's crazy, but have fun. Yeah. Like, oh, you're studying history? Cool. Uh, oh, you're studying history? Well, what are you going to do with that? I don't know. <laughs> Does it matter? <laughs> Go figure just, it out. I'm just enjoying it. Get off my back. Yeah. All right. As I was going to say, Mary, before you yes. so rudely interrupted me. You had a good uh, segue. And then yeah, we had it. a segue. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even a good segue. It was just a segue. Oh. I saw it coming. Uh-huh. And I thought, here's a chance. Sure. A segue. Yeah. Um. And you hopped on. I hopped zipped on. Zipped away. Zipped away. Someone said, hey, are you a mall cop? Do people use segways anymore? Mm, I don't know. I don't. Did they ever actually use them, or were they just used in Paul Blart Mall Cop? I think people did a little bit, but I, I don't. I don't know. Didn't no Job used one in Arrested Development, right? There you go. I don't know, but there you go. Pretty sure he did. There you go. Well, everyone, I just want to point out this is episode forty-eight. Cool. Of the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. In a month, we'll be at episode fifty. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Basically, two years. Yeah, that's cool. A sort of two years. Obviously, 52 Why? is the actual two oh, years. Oh, well, yeah. So 54 will be. Yeah. yeah. Wow, but wow, you know wow, what wow, I mean. <laughs> but since we are humans, we like to celebrate in round numbers or in multiples of five. Yes. Excuse me. I'm just going to cough. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Mayor. Sure. We're on to side two. Yeah, we are. Of this week's mixtape. Mm-hmm. This was a mixtape that I made for Bob Evans, who is a guitar player. I played a song by him last episode. I hope you all heard it. I hope you enjoyed it. We finished off last episode with the feelies, uh, slipping into something, I believe it's called. I think it was slipping bracket into something bra- and bracket. Mm-hmm. I believe so. And so that's kind of like a, a kind of longish, kind of guitar rocky kind of a song. And so we, we end that. We end that song. Yes. And then we go into this song. This is going to be... Surprise, surprise. I know you were probably shocked when you heard it. What? It was field music. <gasps> field music? On a mixtape. Who? <laughs> and you probably went, ugh, field music. But everyone, let me give you a chance to go, ugh, field music. <laughs> this is field music from their, I probably my favorite album by them, Tones of Town from 2004. And this is Working to Work. Here we go. 
Mary, thoughts on working to work? You know what, Dad? Yes. Um, when I heard Dad, yeah, I quickly just looked up Tones of Town because I was like, I'm pretty sure the album came out in 2007. And yeah, it did come out in 2007. Oh, it did. Yeah. Where did I get 2004 from? Huh. I guess I was just making stuff up. Probably. You know what? I probably guessed and then I forgot to check and oh, co- correct it. That sounds right. I usually like to guess and see if I'm right later on, but mm-hmm. I, forgot, I forgot to correct it. I'm sorry, everyone. 2007. Their first album came out in 2005, not even 2004. I was thinking of their EP. Did they have an EP? I don't know. I was just making stuff up. No, I'm pretty sure that their first, they had a, a debut album. A debut album? They did have a debut album in 2005. No 2004 releases, father. <laughs> Oh, well. Anyway, 2007. Thank you, sweetheart. And uh, Mary, yes? thoughts on fleet, I mean, field music? Well, when the song came on, I was like, ugh, field music again. Because, <laughs> you know, there's been a lot of it. Yeah. Um, but I do like the song a lot. It's a really fun song. Yeah. Yeah. It. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, there are a couple parts of it that remind me a lot of the future heads. Yeah, that's what I like. That's one thing I kind of like about this song is that, well, um, one of the brothers, I can't remember whom or who which? played played can't remember which one i uh played with uh feature heads for a while played drums for them before leaving them and 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 uh starting field music with his brother and uh sorry my eyes itchy. and and so yeah i think that that sound is a is a kind of that post-punk sound because I mean, you know obviously the feature heads are like a real example of that you know really popular post-punk sound of the early 2000s it was peter it was Peter who played with him? Yep. Okay. And, but what I like about this song is that it's like a post-punk song, but it's like an acoustic version of one. Mm-hmm. It's like a slowed down version of a Futurehead song. And I kind of, I kind of like that about it, that they're having sort of fun with, with the, with the medium. And yeah, it's good. I mean, not much more you can say about it. We've talked about Futureheads a lot. We have. I mean, um, sorry, we've talked about Field Music a lot. We've talked about Field Music a lot because. We haven't I, really talked about the Futureheads that much. Like, no. Two songs? Yeah, I think I only put two songs on. Yeah. But yeah, I put a lot of field music on. I guess because I was listening to them a lot. Um, the way my algorithm worked on iTunes was kind of like, you like this band, so we're going to keep giving you songs by them. I'm like, you keep giving them to me, I'm going to keep giving them out. Yep. I'm going to keep putting them on mixtapes. Yep. You got me. But yes, we've talked about them a lot. They're great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that they're doing better now. I remember reading a interview with one of the brothers, I think with I think with David, um, a while ago. And this is quite a number of years ago. And he, he named some like, super sad like i think they said that he made they made like 1500 pounds that year or something like that Oof. and as, as a group and i was kind of like oh dear like how can they keep going but they seem to have found a way and they seem to have you know found a way to to make it work for themselves mm-hmm. which is have good. you have you listened to their newest album came on january of this year no i have not i have not got it yet i went i looked for it when it came out and it wasn't available on amazon oh, so I'm maybe to it is maybe it is now yeah, it's been out for a little bit longer. It's been out for a while. Yeah, it's based, it's, it's a, a concept album. Concept album based on a an exhibition they were asked to write music for about mm-hmm. World War One. Yeah, but it's more about the effects of World War One on modern society. So it's talking about like how some of the surgical techniques that were developed to help soldiers with injuries after the war became plastic surgery right. and led on to to a sex change mm-hmm. uh, surgery. Oh, and stuff okay, like that. cool. And they're talking about there's one talking about. I was a song about tampons. Okay, yeah. Like all kinds of weird, like kind of things yeah. that are connected to war, war technology, right. and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, probably like, well, like um, suffrage, women's suffrage, came about in World War One as well. Yeah, yeah. Right. Or, you know, more directly related to me would be the fact that mustard gas uh, research led to the creation of chemotherapy. 
Oh, yeah. Because it was discovered, the effect it had on fast-growing cells. I thought you were going to say it led to the creation of mustard, which is one of your favorite condiments. That is true, but I don't think it's based in mustard gas. No, I don't think so either. So I was kind of like, where are we going with this? (laughs) (laughs) Although, it is the best named gas, let's face it. Right. Well. Actually, it's kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah, not a fan. All right, everyone, let's let's go on to your next song then. Since we've we've hit it at mustard impasse, let's go on to to uh, the next song. This is Elvis Costello and the Attractions from his uh, 1980 album Get Happy exclamation mark exclamation mark, and this is a song called New Amsterdam. Here we go, everyone. You from that song uh, mary what do you think of i wait before i ask you this yes. question yes. i just want to because i know that eve is not a fan of elvis costello oh i was actually going to talk about that oh okay i'm also not a very big fan of. oh elvis you're not costello. a big, very big fan of elvis no, costello no i'm not i like oh. a couple of his songs he's one of those people who i've tried to like mm-hmm. but just doesn't just doesn't do it for me yeah you know? wh- why like content so- lyrical content or just no, I don't like his voice very okay. much. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do find that he has some sort of 80s sounds that I don't like very much. Okay. You know, which, you know, we all know I'm not a big fan of 80s music. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do find a little, he, not as not as much as some people, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's still there, mm-hmm. I find. Um, like, there's some songs of his I like, like this one. Okay, you like this yeah, song? Yeah, I do like this song. Okay, that's yeah, it's cool. good. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's good. It's a little atypical of him for this time period, I think. Mm-hmm. But I, I like it a lot, and it is sort of a breather on this album, album, and maybe that's why I like it, because it's a pretty strident album. Oh, yeah. It's um, 
Get Happy, which you know, I can tell from the name that he's very happy. It was his fourth album. And it, it kind of came, it, it's basically at the height of his career. Right. But also the height of like his fame and, and busyness. And, and you know, when that happens for anyone, there's bound to be a disaster. Yes, of course. And for him, it was getting really, really drunk in a bar with, I think, Bonnie Bramlett and one other guy. And I can't remember who it was. I'm kind of thinking it was Steven Stills, but I don't think it was. But he got it really drunk with, with, with these two. He didn't like them because they were not, you know, he was the new generation. Right. They're the old generation. Right. And he just wanted to like insult, like say something that would just end the conversation. Mm-hmm. And so he called called James Brown an insulting name. Okay. With the N-word. Ooh. And he called Ray. Oh, man. What can I? I hate when my mind goes blank about something. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have that happen to you? Your mind goes yes. blank and you're like, yeah. you're like, I what I does. say, what I say. And you're like, I know I can't remember Ray Charles' name. Luckily, I said what I say and it yeah. popped into my head since that was one of his songs. Ray Charles, he called him a blind old N-word. Oof. And I think he thought it was just going to stay in the bar that they were in and that was going to be yeah. the end of it. But instead, she talked to the papers about it. Well, sure. And so here was, you know, Elvis Costello, who probably shouldn't have said those things. He was oh, drunk. He had played in many a uh, Rock Against Racism show in England. Mm-hmm. You know, he obviously didn't feel this way. He was a fan of black music. He mm. had, you know, but he said it. Yeah. And, and I mean, not, had... not, to, not to defend his actions. Yeah. But I do believe that people, prob- it's likely that someone living in England had less awareness of the connotations of that word. Yeah, than someone living yeah. in America, and especially yeah. than a black person living in America, right? Like it's just—it's like an English person using the c word. Yeah, it's, for them it has a totally different connotation right. than it does for us. Sure, you know? yeah. yeah, or like yeah, someone not living in a place who hears about like um, for example, I a while ago on Twitter or saw a screenshot of something from Twitter where someone was using. Um, like South African vernacular, like South African slang, okay, in a way that was like insulting. But to me, I was like, I have no idea what this means, right? Yeah. Like, I read the thing and I was like, this is like so foreign to me, <laughs> yeah, that like I had to like look into it to realize that what it was doing was like making fun of like black South African okay. language, right? Yeah. It was something that Elon Musk shared, okay, um, and and I was like, oh, okay, so like. But it's just like having to like, because if you're not aware of, if you're not aware of what it means to the people who the word is harmful to, yeah. and if you're not aware of it, then it's, it's easy to just not think much of it. Sure. Right. And I like, do think that Elvis Costello knew that the word was harmful though. And right. I think, I think it was a choice that he made in a time when you shouldn't be making choices. Right. You when know, he was drunk. When you're drunk, yeah. you should not be making like, you know, kind of on the edge choices you yeah. should probably kind of like dial it back a little bit you know what it's funny because when people are drunk is when they tend to make the most on the edge choices <laughs> that's the problem i yeah. guess and so this album was kind of made in the shadow of that right and i do i do think he, i you know he did apologize i do think he was sincere in his apologies but i think this album was part of that apology mm-hmm. when they started recording like touring across america which they were doing at that time. And, and you know, he'd never been to America Yeah. Uh, until he started touring. Prob- I guess he was touring for um, Armed Forces. So when he first touring, like doing big tours across the States, he was able to buy 
45s by all these black artists that he loved. Right. And so he was collecting all this music. Mm-hmm also insulting them yes and then but when he went back to england he was playing these songs and he would play them at the rehearsals and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and as the attractions were like working up the songs for the next album they were pretty much doing them in the style of the last few albums you know so it had that quote-unquote new wave style yeah which i'm not a fan of i mean i like it more than you obviously but i think they kind of felt like well we've gone to this well a couple times i don't think we need to keep drinking from it anymore Mm -hmm. like like they they were feeling that these there was maybe too new wave and and kind of too much what they'd already been doing, and so they decided to re-record the songs that they had recorded and do the rest of them in sort of an R and B style, oh, okay. okay, as well as covering a couple of R and B songs on the album as well. Like, right, for instance, "I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down," I think it's called. Okay, so so that was part of the album. So you do get like this, you know, there's a there's a there's a kind of a country song in there called "Motel Matches," and there's a few songs that are more. Elvisy kind of new wave stuff, but there's also this mix mixed in of R and B, and there's a lot of songs on the album as well. Oh, it's yeah. a, it's got maybe too many songs. It's... There's even like a little disclaimer on it okay. from Nick Lowe who produced the album saying, right. you know, even though we packed so many songs in this album, the sound is still okay. Like it's not right. going to be too. It's not like we're not just we're not putting worse quality songs in here. To get it's not worse qualities. It's worse audio quality. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Worse. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. We're not. We're not. Uh, not distorting. Yeah, we're not, not. Yeah, yeah, distorting the audio quality to pack all the songs. On. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, so like, you could say with the album that you would never hear the end of it. Mm. I guess you could say that. Reference to Sloan's very long <laughs> album. I like that album. Yeah, it's a good album. But name a song off long. it, of course. Is yeah. it always a joke. Uh. Um. Oh. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. You know, California, no. Nope, no, that's on no. Between the Ridges. You know, the problem with that album, too, uh, that CD too, is that it came out at a time when I don't, I didn't listen to CDs in the car so much. I would just mm-hmm. have them on my phone, right? And so I would, and I, or I listened to that album on shuffle. I've never, I don't, you know, so I haven't like lived with that album the way I lived with the earlier ones. Yeah. You know, like when the first one I bought was Twice Removed because I loved the the video for People of the Sky so much, and yeah, I just listened to that all the time. So. Yeah, Flying High Again is a song in there. Flying High, that's the one I was trying to think of. <laughs> oh, man. The first song on <laughs> It is a good album. <laughs> it is a good album. It's, just, is, it's long. It's long and everything. all the songs run together. All the songs are really short, too. And there's a lot of shorter songs in there. Basically, because they had done the, uh, the one before that, with um, that has, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. But anyway, the one before that, whose name I can't remember, Action Packed. That's the one, which is the very controlled oh, album. You don't live like that. The, yeah, the, he, you know, so they had they did this very controlled album where the where the producer chose all the songs that he wanted to produce for the album. Right, because that was the one that was supposed to break them into the American market. Yeah, right? exactly. Which didn't really do it anyway because you can't really break the American market. Mm-hmm. Also, when you're Canadian. Yeah. Also, your your <laughs> title song or your single song from the album is about how you're never going to move to America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Good luck. And so. Yeah, so they had all this backlog of songs then, especially from Andrew Scott, who didn't have any songs on Action Packed. Poor Andrew Scott. So, uh, yeah, so the band recorded Get Happy in the Netherlands. They recorded at a, at a studio there called Visselord Studios in Hilversum, Netherlands. And part of the reason why they recorded it there was to get away from all the distractions that were happening in England. But that didn't stop them from drinking to excess while they were there anyway. So the only song that wasn't recorded in Holland was this song... New Amsterdam, which is kind of ironic. It is. 
which had been recorded solo by by Costello back in London in a small demo, demo studio in this area of London called Pimlico. And it was like a very cheap studio. It was 15 pounds an hour. Hmm. And he was able to use the studio's owner's instrument. So he, he made, you know, use of the vibes, a fretless bass. And there's like a cheap synth in there as well as drums. And so he used all those for his demo. And then a band version was attempted for the album. But Costello was unsatisfied with the attraction's attempts to recreate the mood of the original song. But I actually think the problem with, with it isn't the attractions playing. I think it's Costello singing because I think that he is being too strident in his voice, in his, in his vocals, where, whereas what I like about New Amsterdam and, the, and also that it kind of, um, it kind of presages some of the vocals he'll do on trust the next album where he did these songs in a very, um, almost quiet voice songs okay. like watch your step or, and you'll never be a man and stuff like that, where they have a very different sound to them or new lace sleeves and stuff. And so, uh, yeah. So I'm going to play, I'm going to play the, the alternate version of new Amsterdam. So this was the version that was recorded for get happy, but was ultimately left off of it in favor of the demo version. So let's give that a listen, everyone. Here we go. One, two, three, two, two. You're sending me tulips mistaken for lilies. You give me your lap function function, You turn my head till it rolled down the brain drain. If I had any sense now, I wouldn't want it back again. You asked, damn, it's become much too much. Do I have the possession of everything she touches? Do I step on the brake to get out of the clutches? Do I speak double touch? Do real double touches? Down on the mainspring, listen to the tick tock. Pluck all the faces that moving on your block. Twice shy and dark tight because you've been bitten. Everything you say now sounds like it was ghosted New Amsterdam, it's become much too much Do I have the possession of everything she touches? Do I step on the brake to get out of the clutches? Do I speak double Dutch? Do real double Dutches? Back in London, they'll take you to art after a little while Oh, and look right at home Somehow I found myself down at the dark side Thinking about the old days of Liverpool and Rotherhide The transparent people who live on the other side Living a life that is almost like suicide New Amsterdam, it's become much too much Till I have the possession of everything she touches To the step on the brake to get out of the clutches To the speak double touch to real double touches Okay so that was uh, the alternate version of New Amsterdam. And Mary, I don't know if you uh, could hear her, but I do think that his voice is a little too 
he's pushing it a little bit too much, more than he did for the demo, where it sounds like a more relaxed hmm. vocal performance. The, the demo think, is definitely more relaxed. And I think, but I do like like some of the uh, musical touches in, in the Attractions version, I think are very good. So I think the Attractions version is better. You thought this version was better? No, no, no. I thought oh, the you other thought one. the original one, the demo yeah. version. Oh, that this one yeah. was the demo version. The, the one that we listened to. Yeah, the one we listened to is the demo oh. version. That's what ultimately ended up on the album. And I, I think you're right. I do think it's a better version. Yeah. But I, I think that also. I mean, I think that if he'd approached the vocals differently, I think this would have been perfectly acceptable on the album. Sure. Myself, I think. But they I think maybe the the vibes part or the the vibes part in this in in the the attractions version, I think, is a little too complicated. Okay. Uh, and not quite there yet. Maybe a couple more, a couple more times would have been, helped it. But anyway, right. Anyway, I think they're the sort of band that kind of rushed along, and and uh, you know, uh, they kind of rushed along. And if something didn't really work out, it just sort of fell by the wayside. Right. There was plenty more things they could uh, do, and you know, they didn't have to. They didn't have to spend a lot of time beating a dead horse, as it were. Yeah, that's true enough. But yeah, I like. I like the I thought the lyrics in the song are super fun too. Yeah. Like the speak double dutch to a real double duchess. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. That was sort of his thing was uh to to play with words. Play with words. And yeah. this this album was kind of like the 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 apex of that particular right. oh, okay. particular game. Although he kept kind of always kept doing it. He's yeah. he does he does enjoy wordplay in his songs and that's what makes a lot of them fun as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. it's very good. It's also um it is a one of two songs that I can think of that talks about a city that has a different name now. Yeah. Yeah. What's the other, what's the other song? Istanbul, not Constantinople. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure there's other ones. Probably. But I can't tell them off. I couldn't tell you off the top of my no, head. No, me neither. I don't, I mean, it's not, it's not super common for a city to change its name. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Let us move on to song number three, Mary. Okay. Now, We've talked about Kurt Betcher on this show many times because I like Kurt Betcher very much. A producer who and performer who went unappreciated in his day. He did have a little bit of success, particularly uh, producing The Association. But I think a lot of his innovations, a lot of what he did was unappreciated until the 90s when, when oh, CDs, who wants some boo CDs? But anyway, until CDs started to come out and people could like explore the past. And that, you know, allowed for us to you know have things like like skip spence's or come out or mm-hmm. kurt betcher material mm-hmm. come out into the marketplace just or uh the millennium it's also kurt, kurt betcher that's oh, right. is the millennium kurt betcher yeah, as well? oh yeah. yeah and so yeah things like that where people we could go oh this person was doing some really marvelous things it's mm-hmm. unfortunate that he got murdered to death by his record label right and that's kind of what happened with kurt betcher as mm-hmm. well so um, before I play this song, though, Mary, I want to play a song for you. Strange. Because okay. this song, I mean, I put this song on here mm-hmm. for someone that I would assume would know the kind of the joke behind the song that I put on. Okay. Because this version by the ballroom of this song, it's a little different than the original version. So wait, 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 wait. it's an old blues song. Okay. Uh, it was originally performed by a guy named Big Joe Williams. Okay. Around the 1920s, 1930s, okay. he did a version of this song. It's called Baby, Please Don't Go. Okay. And that's what we're going to listen to now? We're going to listen No, We're going to listen to... So he did a version. Okay. John Hooker did a version. Okay. His was called Don't Go Baby. Okay. Now, a little Irish band that went by the name of Them, that Them. featured Van Morrison as their singer. Oh, okay, yes. They adapted John John Lee Hooker's version. Them. Them. <laughs> 
That's true. Adapted John Lee Hooker's <laughs> version of the song. Okay. And, but they were retitled it as Baby Please Don't Go. Right. Which was the original title. Yes. But they added this very stinging riff to the song, a kind of stinging guitar riff to the song. Okay. And that's what kind of made it big. Right. And so once they did this version of the song, then it was no looking back. Everyone everyone and their mothers covered this song. My mother covered this song. Right. She put it at 45. Sure. Covering this song called yeah. Baby Please Don't Go. Your dad's b- barbershop quartet played this song. Well, her version was about me filling my diapers. Right. She didn't want that anymore. That's fair. So what did my dad did as a barbershop one? That's true. He did. <laughs> Baby, <laughs> please so we went don't go. Well, you could go in your own direction. It's harmony. I guess that's true. Harmony. All right. So, Mara, let's give a listen to them mm-hmm. performing. Who? <laughs> no, we'll play them later. Them. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Why you started it? But wait, who's Why am a, I getting booed? But wait, who's on first, though? No, who's on later? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, this is them with um, Baby Please Don't Go. Here we go, okay. everyone. So that was that was the original version of the song. So that was recorded in 1964. No, wait, wait, wait. 
When you say original version of the song. Well, I mean, the kind of the the the, the version that kind of brought it to prominence. Right. The original like more rocky version. The original kind of rock version, yeah, that that I guess everyone maybe maybe blues aficionados would have known, you know, baby please don't go or don't go baby. But this is what kind of brought it into the mainstream. Right. This is what this was played on the radio. This was what this is a version people people heard. This is a version that I heard growing up. Right. All right. So you've heard that now. I have. Yes. So now we're going to listen to the ballrooms version. Okay. So this is "Baby, Please Don't Go" mm-hmm. by the Ballroom mm-hmm. from 1966. Okay. Here we go. Baby, please don't go. Baby, please don't go. Baby, please don't go. Way back to New Orleans, you know it hurts me so. You know it hurts me so. If I'm way down here, you know I'm way down here. If I'm way down here, down in a rolling fog. So baby, please don't go. Baby, please don't go. Yeah. You said that you were putting this on. Yeah. Uh, with the understanding that. Because I think that person I made the the 
mixtape for yes. Bob. I think yeah. Bob would have known the, the them version. Right. And so he would hear it with that context in mind, whereas you heard it without any context. Yes, true. And so, you know, which I, I don't think it ruins a song or spoils a song, but I no. just thought it'd be sort of amusing to hear what they were basing their version on. Yes. You know, because the ballroom version is very different. It is. It's yes. a very different version of anything. It's probably oh, totally. unlike most things that were happening in the 60s at the time. Yes. Or at, even yeah. now. Yes, totally. Very, <laughs> yeah, super unique. And so Kurt Betcher produced that version of it? He, or he... arranged and produced it, okay. yeah. Yeah. And probably played a lot of it as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who is the ballroom? So the ballroom, so Kurt Betcher, we've talked about him a little before. Mm-hmm. You know, he formed the Gold Briars. He, right. He was going to the University of Minnesota. Okay. And he and some friends, a couple of sisters, uh, Dottie and Sherry Holmberg, Holm, Holm, sorry. Was there an L in there? No, there's not. Oh. That's why I thought there was, and then I realized there wasn't. I started pronouncing it, and then I thought, wait a second, let me look down. Right. No, it's Homburg like the hat, like a Homburg hat. I don't know that type of oh, hat. Oh, you don't know that type of hat? Nope. Well, it's a hat that people used to wear, Mary. What does it look like? It looks like a Homburg. It's kind of a, it's it's a flattish Okay. Hat. Okay. Like a newsboy cap. No, not in like a newsboy cap. Okay. It's a. It's it's like a, a a gentleman's hat of the day. Like. So if you think of like a top hat. It's not like a top like hat. Like a though. den. No. Like a. Think think maybe like a bowler hat. Okay. Yes. But it's not. It has a. It has a crease down the center of it. Oh, okay. Yes. And it's a little wider brimmed, and the like, brim, and it's a bit short. Like a Stetson. It's not like a cowboy hat though. Oh. It's a round, like a evenly round brim around the hat okay. and it but it's is it bent. curved up yeah is the brim curved and like the a brim, bowler hat the brim brim is curved like a bowler hat yeah and it's a little bit flatter than a bowler cap because it's been punched down a little bit mm, okay that's the homburg because the stetson is kind of p- punched down as well but it's more like punched in yes. not not a crease like the the homburg had like a crease down the center of it so oh. from end to end interesting whereas the stetson is like a almost like a pork pie hat as well where you have like a a dented in with a slight to, uh, slight dome yes, to the top of yeah. it. Yeah. I have a Stetson. Oh, okay. I actually have, I actually have, this is weird. I actually have an original National Park Stetson. Oh, okay. Neat. Which I've never worn, <laughs> but I bought it on eBay as an impulse. Because I got really into, <laughs> I got really into the National Park Service. <laughs> okay. Because America. Yes, dear. Does not do a lot of things very well. No, they do good things. No, but they do National Parks very well. Okay. Or at least they did uh, four years ago. Yeah. When I was there. Yeah three years ago i think the possibility is still there it's still there yeah i think their funding has been cut mm. a lot under this current administration yeah which is unfortunate but when i was there three years ago yeah they uh were fantastic way better than canadian national parks oh really way more services mm. every national park you drive in and they give you like a little newspaper mm. and it has like all the information it has trail maps it has like they have guided tours all the time if you go to the big ones they've got like guided tours all the time you can do guided hikes you can do all this stuff they have little visitor centers at every place or not every place but a lot of places they have little visitor centers Mm. also free camping in a lot of them which is cool yeah that's nice yeah and really they're they're just very well organized as well Hmm. we went to 11 national parks on our road trip that's nice Mm -hmm. Hmm. did you hear about the redwoods they're on fire yeah they may all be gone that's terrible yeah really sad yeah super sad Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to make it down to Santa Rosa soon. Yeah. Before it burns down. That's where um, Charles Schultz's uh, oh, office yeah. is, is preserved there. Yeah. And I'd love to see it. Mm-hmm. Before it goes or, or I go. Yes. One of us must go. Yeah, I'm really missing the ability to travel to the United States right now. Yeah. Like going to Seattle. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I had a... They do Seattle well in the States. They do. It's true. 
And also do on the States, Disneyland. Yep, that's good too. We don't do Disneyland very well in Canada. No, we don't understand those sort of things. True. Um, yeah, so so yeah, I had this folk group going. And so mm-hmm. and they were getting more professional, so they moved to Los Angeles and they mm-hmm. recorded a couple albums there. And then they broke up. Right. And so then uh, Betcher moved into production. Okay. And so he started producing groups, one of those being The Association. He produced their yes. first album that had their big hit, Along Comes Mary on it. Mm-hmm. Very good song, very good band. Very good song, very good band, very good name to a song. Agree. And then in 1966, he formed The Ballroom. He decided okay. he wanted to get back more into performing. He was still producing at the time, but he also wanted to do performing. And so he formed The Ballroom with, with some friends, his friend Sandy Salisbury. Okay, I like that name. Uh, his friend Michelle O'Malley and another guy named Jim Bell. And together, they signed to Warner Brothers, and they basically recorded about two albums worth of material, but only one single was ever released by the band. And that one single was a song we played before by them, which is called Spinning, Spinning, Spinning. And then the B-side of that was this song, Baby, Please Don't Go. And as I said, it was a cover version of a song popularized by Big Joe Williams in 1935. So he gets writing credit for the song, but this song most likely existed before Big Joe Williams laid claim to it. And so, yeah, it was popular in the 30s, and then it was revived by them featuring Van Morrison, as I was, we played earlier. And now, Betcher's version is a sly, almost subversive take on the blues with its affectless vocals and little in the way of instrumentation. It's basically everything's been stripped down to percussion, as far as I can tell, listening to this song. I don't think there's a piano on it. I definitely don't think there's a guitar on it. There might be bass, but I'm not I'm not certain. The bass could easily be a drum that's being played. What do you think of the song though, dear? Well, I loved it. <laughs> you loved it? I thought it was a really good song. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah. Um I really like the building instruments. Yeah, that's great, isn't it? I really like uh, the use of repetition, mm-hmm. like the singing and the instruments. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I thought, well, I mean, knowing the history of the song, yeah, it, it sort of makes, well, I thought it, it felt like they were incorporating lots of different types of instruments into the song. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed like they were incorporating some like sort of African elements. Probably they might've been like a djembe or whatever in there. Yeah. Stuff, like, so. cause like the um the drums and the bells and they're sort of like ululating yeah in the song as well and a lot of they that they did have some they did have some some um obviously probably influenced by uh tomorrow never knows from revolver okay so they're incorporating what i would think of as tape loops into it as well so yes. those are being mixed in probably yeah. on the fly the same way they were with tomorrow never knows right and that's and i don't think they're entirely successful like if i was you know if I was Kurt Betcher, I would have done it a little bit differently. I would have stretched it out a bit longer with some oh, of the okay. sounds. Right. But he probably had a limit because he was using tape loops. The same thing yeah. that happened with the Beatles. There's a limit of how long the, the tape loop goes mm-hmm. and how long you can keep it running. You are limited by the technology of your time. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And by how many people are helping you. So yeah. the Beatles had four people, mm-hmm. plus the producer and engineers and stuff in the studio. Yeah. Also, they were the Beatles. And the Beatles, you know, all holding bits of tape and stuff like that on pencils and things going running through machines. Right. Whereas Betcher was probably doing it practically alone. With, yeah. You know, it just had an engineer to help and some and of the band members. only Kurt Betcher. He wasn't the Beatles. He wasn't the Beatles, exactly. Just, there's exactly less, there's, right. there's, the Beatles get more resources. Yeah. And when you're assigned to, say, Warner Brothers... They're going to put out one single by you. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't, it's not a hit, then they just go, well, oh, forget it. Yeah. It's really dumb, but Sad. that's what they did. Yeah. But the other thing, I, I mean, knowing the history of the song, mm-hmm. this is maybe like less sort of p- 
poignant or relevant. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that they mention New Orleans in the lyrics. Yeah. When it feels like a song that is such sort of like a melding of different sort of like cultural sounds. Sure. Right? Since New Orleans is like such a... Um, a melting pot of sounds. Yeah, yeah. right? Like it was like a, a meeting place for like English and French and Spanish and black and indigenous. Yeah cultures right mm-hmm. like all of those different groups sort of came together and created this like really specific situation right yeah, yeah and like this song also has like a bunch of different sounds from different cultures sort of mixed together to create something also very like unique and special yeah which is interesting yeah. no it's uh that's nice it's it is a lot of fun i know i was was playing it i heard it in the car i don't think i was playing in the car but i think it came up in the in a shuffle when i was driving with your mom somewhere and I was kind of like, oh, probably not going to like this very much. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. But then she really liked it too. Yeah. So it's like, very, it's it's also, it just is so, it has like such a good energy. Yeah. You know, it's not like, yeah. and it is kind of like, it is like a little like, sort of like frenetic feeling at parts. Yeah. But it's also like, it doesn't feel like messy, you know, or like overly convoluted. Like it feels like it knows what it's doing. Yeah. 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 Oh, he was a smart guy. Mm-hmm. He definitely had intent in what he oh, did. Oh, yeah. So it's not, no, like not it, an accident. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think you can tell from this that he is a very good producer mm. and engineer. Yeah. 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 If you couldn't tell that from listening to the association. <laughs> it made me think of, this song made me think of this song by this group called the Flying Lizards. And what they would, what they did at the, um, it was the kind of late 70s. This is New Wave, so you might, you might not like it, but they would do like these very stripped down versions of popular songs from the past and i'm gonna play you one it's called money okay it's what i want you know mm-hmm. the song right just give me money it's what i want no lots of okay the beatles covered it but anyway okay it was a motown song right and so let's give this song a listen uh, this is the flying lizards everyone remember them if you're old enough if you're old as me do you remember the flying lizards they're briefly popular on the radio they did a couple of songs they did Se- james brown sex machine mm-hmm. and they did money that's what I want. So wait, they covered those two songs? They covered those two songs, yeah. So let's give a listen to Money. This song is more, to me, it's more in the kind of realm of, of, of uh, Baby Please Don't Go. So here we go. For free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. I can't use, I want money. Ooh. 
All right. So just so listeners know, uh, when I started playing that song, Mary turned and looked at me and said, you're right. I'm not enjoying this. I wouldn't say the beginning. I would say a, a minute or so in. I, I gave it a chance. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's not exactly the same. I think the... I think the ballroom version, of course, is way, way better. Oh, yeah. But I think it's sort of interesting, kind of a... I doubt that when the Flying Lizards did that version, they had any idea that such a version existed of by the ballroom. I just sort of think it's funny to do that sort of very deadpan, uh, simplified take on a on a cover, on a cover or a you know, popular song. Right. It's sort of amusing to me anyway. Mm-hmm. And they were... That song, I don't know if it was top ten, but definitely was like in the top forty when I was, right, a, was when I was popular. a kid. It was popular. I think just because it was weird and yeah. you know it was just such an odd thing. It was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. People probably treated it more as like a novelty hit, kind of like yeah. Rock Lobster or whatever. Yeah, but. I mean it was like weird. It's a weird song, but yeah. it, it is also it does have a lot of the so- sounds of the time. Yeah, it's not like like um, Baby Please Don't Go, yeah. the version that we listened to on this mix. Yeah, like listening to it, I was like, I have no idea what year this was from. Mm. Or what country this was from, huh. right? Like I was just like I have no, I have no clue where this could have come from. Yeah, because I just like because I mean I, again I didn't know the the original version of it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just like had sounds that were so different, you know. Cool, cool. Yeah. And, and the other important thing about about Baby Please Don't Go by mm-hmm. the Ballroom mm-hmm. is it goes on my top five list of songs that end in an explosion or crash. Oh, yeah. What else is on that? Well, wouldn't you like to know? Uh, is um, Thank You for the Music by Cornelius on that? Yes. Yep. Also, Seven and Seven is by Love. Mm-hmm. And No More Lollipops by Peter Sarsted. Oh, okay. No, we just need one more. What's that? We need one more. Need one more. For five. Make five. I, I'm pretty sure I have one in mind. I just can't think of it right now. I'll tell you later. That's okay. I'll think of it. Yep. Okay, let's go on to your next song, sweetheart. What is it? This is The Friends of Distinction. Oh, you seem surprised. I'm not. <laughs> All right, the friends of distinction from their album, their album made for millennials. Hmm? Whatever. Whatever. From 1970, mm-hmm. they were really ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. And the song is called "Great Day." So everyone, let's give this a listen. It's kind of a nice day, ain't it? Mm, it could be better. Thank you. 
pig, baby. Now, I know we do that on this day. You know what I'm saying? Your thoughts, feelings, hopes, prayers, advice about Great Day by the Friends of Distinction. Dad. Yes, dear. We are... Uh, Two we, songs in? We have all of your favorite things on this mix. Yes. How do you mean? We have field music. Yeah. We have Elvis Costello. Yeah. We have a song that starts with two people having a conversation. It's true. Which you like. <laughs> I do like that. You do like that. I do like that. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I love how the song has this kind of starts off with this very chatty feel to it, and it sort of slowly builds into a song. You may not have liked it because maybe it felt like a musical to you. I didn't like it. You didn't like this song at I all. I thought it was okay. Mm. I, I didn't think there was enough song. Oh, okay. I thought it was like too much talking at the beginning, <laughs> right. and I was like, I don't, yeah. I don't know about this. And then the song, I was like, meh, it's all right. It's it was fine. a nice song. I also did not know that it was Friends of Distinction, and knowing that, it makes me like the song a little bit less. Because it's not? Because it's not Grazing in the Grass, <laughs> which is one of the best songs I of know. all time. And I never put it on any of the mixes either. You never either. put Grazing in the Grass? In? No. Well, because we should play it. I think I played it before in, in this series. We should play it. I played it before, though. We should play it now. We want to hear it again? Yeah. All it's right. a good song. All right, everyone. Here comes Grazing in the Grass. Oh, yeah. As friends, per Mary. Here yeah, we go. Yeah, Friends of Distinction.
All right, and we're back. That was Grazing in the Grass. We have played that song before, but that's okay. Mary, it's a good song. Mary likes it so much. It's such a good song. It is a good song, Mary. I'm not going to argue it's with really you. It song. is really good. And you know what? Hmm? Much better than then? the song. Uh, I wouldn't say it's much. I mean, okay, it's better, but it's much better. Okay, it's much better. But when you're making when you're making mixtapes, it's not about. It's often about new things. Right. You it's know? not about what song is better. It's about something that you just heard. Yeah. And you're like, oh man, this is kind of cool. I mean, we have talked about this before. You yeah. can't have every song on a mixtape be the best song. It's not even that. Like, like by the time I heard Great Day, because I happened to pick up the album, whatever, mm-hmm. I was, I had heard Grazing in the Grass like five years before or whatever. Right. You know? And so I already knew that song. I'm not excited about that song anymore. Yeah. I know that song. Mm-hmm. I played it for you guys. You guys got excited about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I shared it. I shared it with people that I knew. I put it in a mixtape. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear A Great Day, I'm like, oh, this song is really cool. Like, I just love how it has this, like, conversational element to it with two people yeah. talking. I love the fact that the singer, Barbara Jean Love, wrote mm-hmm. it for oh, someone cool. else. And so it has her personality in it as well. And she's singing it. Cool. And I really like that part of it, too. And so I just, you know, and so... Any, even though I do think Grazing Grass is a great song, I just, you know, at that moment, I'm I'm not like, gee, I should go back and put an old song that I know. No, you're like, oh, I want to put this song on that I just really, I just discovered and I think someone should listen to. And so, yeah, Prince of Distinction are kind of like the fifth dimension. They're the slightly jazzier or maybe slightly funkier version of the fifth dimension. The fifth dimension, I think, are more supper club than the Friends of Distinction. Not that that distinction is really that really that uh, important. Not important, but not that clear because they both were supper club, you know, acts. They they would have performed for, you know, for people who maybe were in Las Vegas, let's say, and wanted to like spend some time with a, like a dinner and have some drinks. And there there was a, a nice group singing songs that everyone could like. On stage, that's kind of where they f- they fell. And same with the Fifth Dimension. Um, in fact, the the both groups, the Fifth Dimension and Friends of Distinction, came out of the same group. There's a group called the Hi Fies that performed in L.A. And when they broke up, some of the members went on to the, form the Fifth Dimension, and some of the members of the Hi Fies went on to form the Friends of Distinction. And the group was discovered by American football superstar Jim Brown, who used to play for Buffalo. And he also discovered Earth, Wind, and Fire. And so it was through him the band got signed to RCA Records. And they had like an incredibly prolific run at the beginning. They released five albums between 1969 and 1971, as well as numerous singles. And so the band itself were Floyd Butler, Barbara Jean Love, Jessica Jessica Cleves, and Harry Elston. But on whatever, uh, a woman named Charlene Gibson filled in for Jessica Cleves, who took time off on preg- for because she was pregnant. On Wikipedia, I don't know why it said that. It says that it was Barbara Jean Love who took time off because she was pregnant, but that is not true. She is singing on this album. Hmm. In fact, as I say, she wrote this song and she sang this song. Right. And uh, yeah, it's her and uh, Harry Elston singing together a song that she wrote with a, another guy named Terry Evans, who was a kind of a singer-songwriter, a songwriter for hire kind of a guy. But anyway, great song, I think. Hmm. Well, not great song, but a good song, you know, fun and song. And another, another link to the association... The Fifth Dimension was produced by Bones Howe. That's true. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. He had his fingers and all kinds of... Sure. Nice. Bones Howe. <laughs> uh, let's go on to your next song, dear. What is it? This is Jason Faulkner. The song is Revelation from his album Can You Still Feel from 1999. And I'm going to play the song and I'm just going to say before you hear the song that this song was not chosen as a single from the album. Cuckoo. But anyway, maybe because it was a little long, but that's no reason. That's a dumb reason. 
Let's listen to Revelation, everyone. This is Jason Faulkner. Here we go.
And we're back. I believe everyone. I, you know, I haven't been making many guesses on Mary's opinions on some of the songs because I've been pretty surprised actually by by her reactions to a lot of the songs today. Really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't think you'd like Elvis Costello. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure at all what you think of the ballroom. Right. I thought you wouldn't like Friends of Distinction just because it isn't grazing in the grass. I pretty, I thought that would be your go-to criticism of that song. That's fair. That's, that's a it's a very appropriate criticism. But I'm gonna go out on a limb, Mary. Way out on a limb, and I'm yeah. gonna say. You like this song. I do like this song. <laughs> and um, do you want to know how much I like this song? How much do you like this song? I'm friends with Jason Faulkner on Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not friends with fa- we Jason have been, Faulkner. Oh, we've been friends on Facebook for 10 years. Wow. Yeah, since April 2010. That is inappropriate, Jason Faulkner. Well, I never, I've never, i never talked to Jason Faulkner. No, he's just, it's just a fan page for him. I'm no, joking. it's not. It's his per- personal profile. Oh, is it really? Yeah, we're friends. <laughs> I'm like actually friends with them on Facebook. I'm also friends with Ben Gunning from Local Rabbits. <laughs> oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Well, Jason Faulkner seems like a really nice guy. He is, yeah. Uh, he has a little bit of Nick Lowe in him, I think, because I remember I was reading an interview with Arctic Monkeys, and he produced one of their albums, and they're saying that uh, pretty much the way the day went was they'd work as fast as they could in the studio to get songs done so that they could go to the bar after. Oh, yeah. And that was pretty much Jason Faulkner's working method. He is also... Involved in Scott Pilgrim versus the universe. Versus the world. Versus the world, sorry. I'm going to say universe. Versus the universe is one of the comic titles. Yeah, that's right. I was getting mixed up. Versus the world. Yeah. Yeah, he was, he played, he played Scott Pilgrim's bass part in the bass off between Scott Pilgrim and Todd. Rundgren. No, not Todd Rundgren. Todd. You know, Todd, anyway. We don't need to know his last name. It's something like Rundgren. Engram? Todd Engram? Something like that? Something like that. I think it's Todd Engram. Anyway. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah. So he seems like a kind of a dude. He uh, last time I saw him, he was playing with Beck. He was in the band in Beck's band. Oh, good. While they're touring. Yeah. He's basically so. You know, he started off. He played with the Three O'clock. We've mm-hmm. played them on the show before. He was on their final album, Vermilion, which bizarrely came out on Paisley Park Records, Prince's uh, boutique record label. It is Todd Ingram. I was right yeah. for a change. When that band broke up, he was convinced by a friend of his named Roger Manning to move to San Francisco to play drums with his band, which was called Jellyfish. Uh, and Faulkner was on that with them for two albums. Then he left. He, th- uh, he found them too tied to their influences instead of developing a sound of their own. So he left the band after touring their second album, and he pretty much vowed he would never join another band again. So after that, he, he drifted into session work, meeting producer-keyboardist John Bryan, who convinced Faulkner to join... His band, The Greys, a new band with three singer-songwriters that soon found itself split by musical differences, and they only released one album. And so Faulkner left them, but then he worked with Eric Matthews on Eric Matthews' first album. Uh, It's heavy in here. He played drums, bass, and guitar on that album. And Matthews has never stopped praising Faulkner for his contributions to that album. If there's one thing that Eric Matthews has been consistent on, besides the fact that he's gone slowly insane, according to the internet, is that... Uh, Faulkner was invaluable in making that album. Finally, in 1996, Faulkner released his first solo album, Jason Faulkner Presents, Author Unknown, for which he produced and played most of the instruments himself, bar a string section. Uh, Unfortunately for him, the album was not a success. And he actually blamed his label, Electra Records, for poor promotion, and Faulkner asked to be released from his contract, but the label took responsibility for the album's poor performance and convinced him to record a second album in the same manner as his debut. So he did it slightly differently. He decided he wasn't going to produce it this time, and he'd fallen in love with Nigel Godrich's production of OK Computer by Radiohead, Mm -hmm. and so he got him to produce a second album. 
And my final note I put on this page was that criminally, Revelation was not a ding-dang single. Yeah, it should have been. It should have been. It's a really good song. It is a really great song. Yeah. And I think I think uh, it might have, I don't know for sure, but it would at least give him, give him something. Yeah. So I feel like he's really underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Well, I just checked his Facebook page. Yeah. And he's uh, he has been touring. Yes. With uh, Spoon. Okay. And Cage the Elephant. Wow. Which is a British band. Yeah. I know he's toured with Air. Mm-hmm. Back. Lots of people. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that was in. That's his thing. Fall 2019. He was mm-hmm. doing that. He's not doing anything right now, obviously, because of COVID. But... Yeah. 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 Well, maybe he's working on an album. Yeah. He has produced other albums since then. It just was like 10 years after this album came out that he put another album out. Mm, yeah. And he did like a couple of Beatles covers albums. Like they're like Beatles lullaby level. They're like lullaby albums. Oh, okay. So they use Beatles songs as, as ways for children to fall asleep. Cool. And then, yeah, he said, and he put it like a demo collection and stuff. Apparently there is a, um, there's a children's like a baby TV show. Okay. Or whatever, like for babies. And um, every episode is about a Beatles song. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. For babies. Yeah. It's not with the, the bugs, though. It's not like the Beatle bugs one. Is that on Netflix? I don't know. Oh, okay. I heard about it on um, uh, Griffin McElroy's podcast. It is with his wife. Oh, okay. They talked about baby TV shows when their baby was a baby. Okay, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Griffin McElroy. Of the McElroy brothers. He's the youngest. He's the babyest brother. Oh, okay. I get him mixed up. Oh, maybe I don't. Maybe that... Does he do a movie podcast as well? Griffin McElroy? No. Well, that's a different Griffin then. Oh, yeah. That's Griffin um, Newman. Griffin Newman? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, um, he's in The Tick, the Amazon show The Tick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Him, uh, he does um, Blank Check with Griffin and David. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good show. I listened yeah. to it while I was peeing in the kitchen. Oh, good. Did you listen to the Star Wars episodes? I, no, I just listened to one of them. I, 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 but I listened to. They did a complete run through of all the, all the. Um, uh, Hamizaki. No. The Miller. All the George Miller movies. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. I didn't listen to the. I've. I listened to because they started fun. out as a Star Wars podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I listened to those, and then they did a series on M Night Shyamalan. Okay. And I listened to those. M. Night Shyamalan would be one that would fit the theory of the show, I think, more yes. than than the nor- than George Miller. Yeah. Like, George Miller is interesting because his career is so varied. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you say someone... But I mean, the idea of the show is someone who has had great success yeah. commercially and so has been given the ability to make whatever passion project they want. Yeah, I guess I guess that's where he is, but he he's always been that. Yeah. Like he started he was a self-producing, mm-hmm. self-financing yeah. filmmaker oh, from totally. the get-go. The only movie he made that was not self-financed was The Witches of Eastwick. Oh, okay. And he found that experience so obnoxious that he he uh went he vowed to never work for a studio again. Yeah. He seems like someone who values creative control. You know he's a doctor? What? He's a medical doctor. George Miller? Yeah. Yeah, cool. that's how that's how they raised money for to do the first Mad Max movie is that Sick. he would do on call doctoring for people in people in emergency situations, <laughs> and his friend Bert Kennedy mm-hmm. drove him around, hmm. and then that's why the that's why Kennedy Miller was the production team that did Mac, that Mad Max oh, and Road Warrior and stuff like that. Unfortunately, before the before filming started on the third one on Beyond the Thunderdome, Kennedy was killed in a helicopter crash. Oh, no. Which was super devastating for yeah. George Miller, like super devastating. In fact, he said he barely even directed Beyond the Thunderdome. Wow. He just handed it over to someone else and he was just sort of there hmm. to kind of oversee it. But he was just so devastated. He had real, real trouble. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of like what happened with um, Zack Snyder. 
when his his daughter mm-hmm. committed suicide and mm-hmm. he was supposed to be directing Suicide Squad. Justice League. He's like, I can't direct this movie. Give it to someone else. Give it, was, it to David Ayers. It was actually Justice League. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I get the joke. Um, <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can't imagine. No, it's terrible. Yeah. It's yeah, terrible, just a hard... The, the other thing about George Miller is like, if you said like, oh yeah, he directed Mad Max, you're like, oh, okay, what did he direct after that? Road Warrior. Yeah, well, Witches of Eastwick. Yeah. Okay. The Devil Comes to a New England Town. All right. Sounds kind of weird. What did he do after that? Oh, Lorenzo's Oil, a medical movie about a boy who's dying of a mysterious ailment. Yeah. His parents try and find a cure. Oh. Oh, okay. I can kind of see where his career is going. What did he do after that? Oh, a movie about a pig, a talking pig. Oh. In the big city. That was the second one. He, I don't think he... He didn't write... He wrote... He wrote Babe and produced it. Wrote but he did and not directed direct Babe Pig in the City. Yeah. That's why I went to Babe Pig in the City. But, but it's not, it was not, not a success, it. that movie. No, but. And then he also did Happy Feet. Did he do. Ha- oh, yeah, he did do Happy Feet, yeah. <laughs> One and two. Yeah, what a strange career. It is a strange career, right? Because yeah. then it goes to Mad, to, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Fury Road, which is a yeah. fantastic movie. One of the best movies that's so come out in the last few yeah, years. Yeah, definitely. Came yeah. out um, like five years ago now. Five years ago? I think it was 2014. No, it was 2014, six oh, years ago. Oh, my gosh. Everything that happens in my life now makes me feel old. I recently saw something on Facebook. Someone was like, was like, lol, I can't believe Mad Max Fury Road didn't win Best Picture in 2014 and some stupid movie called Spotlight did. No one remembers that movie. And everyone was like, <laughs> everyone remembers Spotlight. It was a really good movie. <laughs> I don't know. I still think Mad Max should have, should have won. Best Picture? Yeah. I don't know. I think Spotlight is more Best Picture. Well, I don't think what movies should win for worthiness. They should win for, for artistic achievement. Sure, I think. but Spotlight's a really good movie. It's, it's okay, but look at Mad Max Free no, Road. No, I know. It's I an think, amazing movie. I think Mad Max Free Road is a better is a better movie. Yeah, but I so think it should win the Oscar. But I think Spotlight is a movie that is more going to because it has more universal appeal. Dear. Yes. They created a different car for every character in that movie. No, I know they did. They also had all of the women work with um us like sexual assault counselors. Sexual what? Sexual assault counselors. Okay. Because to get into the um the like the mindset of victims of sexual assault okay because that was like their purpose right was to be like survivors yeah which was really interesting cool yeah it's a really good movie it's a really good movie but you know we all agree spotlight is not is a worse movie no no but it is it's a different movie it is a different movie that's a problem with the oscars of course yeah and it's it's a movie that is has more universal appeal Mm. and is more... Are you saying because it's Catholic and Catholic stands for universal? No. I'm just saying that not everyone likes action movies. Idiot. I know. Unless you don't like action movies, then you're a great person. Mm. I said to my audience. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Mary? Yeah, yeah. Too soon. No. You know what? You what? Know what? what? You know what's a movie that I want to rewatch? It would it be... Let me guess. Hmm? Dread? No. I recently rewatched Dread. I was talking about it today, Dad. With me? Yeah. No? Oh, when? Not Dread. The movie that I want to rewatch. Oh, the movie you want to rewatch. You're talking mm-hmm. about it today. Mm-hmm. With me? Yep. Avec moi? Yes. Con mio? Someone is stalling. Attack the block. <laughs> oh, I just watched that one a little while ago. Did you? Yeah. Without me? Oh, you weren't here. It's pretty rude. It's a, it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. You know what you should watch, though? Mm-hmm. The Boy Who Would Be King. I want to watch The Boy Who Would Be King. I've not seen it's it. It's a Joe Cornish film as well. I know. It's not as good as Attack the Block. Well, no. I'm going to say that. But That's, Attack the Block is it's pretty... A, it's a different movie. It's like a kid's movie, right? It's really a kid's movie. Like, if yeah. you were if you 
or mm-hmm. I were an 11 to 13 year old yes. boy, that movie would hit us right in the forehead. I think that is exactly the type of movie that I would have liked when I was that age. Yeah, yeah. But me, it's fun to watch anyway. Me it's sort of reading, exclusively reading Tamora Pierce books <laughs> at yeah. that age yeah. and then going to see that movie. Yes, definitely. Yeah, but... I def- and I definitely would have taken you to see it. Yep. But yeah, I recommend it. Yeah. I recommend Attack the Block. I recommend Attack the Block too. So there. Hmm. I recommend it more. I also recommend hmm? Spotlight. Mm. And yep. Mad Max Fury Road. I recommend you watch Spotlight, but then I really recommend that you watch Seth Meyers' spoof of movies that use Boston accents. Oh, okay, yeah. Because that makes it even better. Right. I have not seen that. Bastin. Bastin. All right. And then watch... Oh, sorry. Oh, what's that one? What's that movie set in Boston that everyone's like, it's a great movie, but then it hired three guys who look exactly the same? The Departed. Yeah, The Departed. That's such a good movie. Oh, it's so good. I know. That's what everyone says about The Departed. As soon as you write in The Departed, everyone's like, oh my God, it's so good. And then I'm like, I could not tell the men in the movie apart. (laughs) You can't tell the difference between Matt Damon. Three square-faced white guys. I could not tell them apart. Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, Leonardo DiCaprio. Ben Affleck is not in that movie. Oh, no. Who is it? Who's the third one? Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio. I know. It's uh, Marky Mark. Mark Wahlberg. Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. They all look exactly the same. They all have a square face. And Jack Nicholson. They all look alike. Jack Nicholson does not look like those men. They all have a square and face, light hair. Alec Baldwin, totally. Same build. All the same. Impossible to tell who is who. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You have you have defective facial recognition software. You should get an upgrade. I should. I wish. Also, people say it's a really good movie, but then at the end of The Departed, a rat walks across the screen. What's wrong with that? It's a little on the nose. It's like a little joke. Get it? It's a fun joke. Get it? Wink. Rat. Get it? Moves with a rat, and there's a rat at the end. Get it? Mm. Dad, did you get it? I got it. Did you it. get it, though? <laughs> Are you sure? Because if, Listen, if you don't get it, there's if a that rat. Is your, if that is your one criticism of a movie that has <laughs> the most, one of the most beautiful scenes in, in the world in it. criticisms of it. Also, one of the most beautiful your, women in the world, Vera Farmiga. Your criticism of it is dumb, though, because your criticism is so, I, so you. Super specific? Yeah, to you, well, who has the worst, world's worst facial recognition that software. That is not true. Yes, dear, it is true. No. Is it not true hmm? that you didn't recognize me when I was standing in a group of men who all looked this, like me? In fact, it was a hall of mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems unfair. <laughs> Let's move on. It was a hall of mirrors on top of a skyscraper. <laughs> See, I was going to say it was the hall of mirrors from that dumb movie. <laughs> Every time I think about that movie, whenever we talk about that movie, Duncan gets so mad about that Hall of Mirrors. But I get so mad about how there's that scene in the movie where the the building is starting to fall apart and yeah. the bad guys have revealed themselves to the rock. But the bad guys haven't revealed that they're bad guys to the his wife and yeah, kid. Yeah. And then they like go and rather than being like, hey, we're still on your side. Come with us. Yeah. They're like, <laughs> we're bad guys. We're coming to get you. And then they run away. I'm like, why? They, they didn't know you're a bad guy. No, you told them you were. Why don't you just pretend and I'll be bad guys? You've been pretending up until now. Like, pfft. Outrage. Outrage. Anyway, what's the next song, Dad? <laughs> the next song. The next song is a familiar band. For listeners to to Sneaky Dragon, plus we get our CanCon in everybody. This is Sloan. Did I blow your mind by saying that, Mary? Nope. With you know why? Because what? we already had local rabbits, and that's our other CanCon. <laughs> that's our other CanCon. Our go-to CanCon. Sloan from their second album, Twice Removed. This is a uh, snowsuit sound. This came out in 1994, the year Mary was born. Hey, it's as old as I am. Yep. Let's go.
believe yeah that this album is 26 years old um you know what i do think this album is kind of timeless unlike smeared their first album smeared is very timed very timed it's very timed out it's very much <laughs> it's very much attached to the period it yes, came out it in. is if you if you listen to underwhelmed yeah which is the best song on that album you yeah. will say i know exactly when this came out yeah yeah because yeah it does. It sound. It has like shoegaze, yeah, uh, grunge kind of grunge, sound to it. Yeah. And then they started working on this album, and they immediately started like performing in a classic rock via via 
80s uh, music with a sort of 90s underground uh, feel to it. Hmm. You know, like this song is really weird instrumentally. Like, like the... This the, is a weird song, I think. The verses, you know, there's very little guitar. It's got the fuzz bass going uh, with just little, like, kind of, like, smaller bits of guitar. You know, the... Basically, that part, it's the bass that's kind of carrying the song. The bass and drums are doing a lot of the work right. in the verses. It's not to get to the chorus when the guitars come chiming in and then you get the, you know, you're a sizzle teen and you're older than me. I go walking around, make that snowsuit sound. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many people who aren't from Canada know what that means, the idea of snowsuit sound, that sh- 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 sound you make while you're walking <laughs> in the snow when you're, when you're a kid. I mean, you know. come on, Dad. Like, mm-hmm. we say people who aren't from Canada. Yeah. But what is the difference between people who are from the Lower Mainland and people who are from Washington? Geo- geographically, yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe so. That's true. I mean, they'll get snow as well. Like anyone from a... anyone from anywhere. I just don't know if their parents made a point of buying them snowsuits to walk around in. I mean, it's possible. I think Do people you think are like snowsuits in... is regional. I don't. Don't I? Don't, I, th- I wonder if the habit of everyone in the, the house having snowsuits. Yeah. That are available for when the snow falls. Everyone gets their snowsuits on mm-hmm. to go outside and play, and you play outside till your hands were, as, you know, as totally red, red. Re- totally red and frozen, <laughs> and cold water hurt. And you had, yeah, you had no feeling left in them <laughs> except for pain, except for that like really sharp like, pin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're having so much fun, you didn't want to come in. Hey, you know it's a really good book. What's that, dude? That Robert Munch book. Which one? But the snowsuit. Oh, uh, yeah, that is good. Um, where the boy doesn't want to wear it. And... Yeah. And the teacher ends up wearing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very good. Robert Munch is a Canadian treasure. He is, but I'll tell you this right now: mm-hmm. in the in the uh, Canadian top uh, books mm-hmm. for kids' books, mm-hmm. Sparks is higher than Robert Munch now. Really? We beat out the Paperback Princess <gasps> and I'll Love You Forever. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Cool. I'll Love You Forever. That's basically the book people buy when they're uh, someone's baby's born. They just oh, bring that book totally. with a cigar. And pa- here, Paperback Princess is a book that everyone knows. Yeah. We're uh, on yeah. Friday, I was playing board games with some friends. Yeah. And, oh, we were playing a game called Chameleon, which yes. is a very fun party game. It is. And I do very well at it. Yes. Because I'm very unassuming. Right. Yes. And we should sneaky. play We should play Secret Hitler. Okay. It's really fun. Eve bought it for me for my birthday last yeah. year. Yeah. We've been playing it. And oh, good. It's very good. That's good. Um, We had some good wins. <laughs> I had some good wins. Good. Um, and... Oh, yeah. And one of the... So with Chameleon, you have like a card and it has a bunch of topics. Yeah. And then uh, you roll two dice and it tells you which... uh, You have like... Each person has a card that they keep hidden. Yeah. That has like the same... And most of the cards have like a a key. Like a... Yeah, a grid. And that it tells you which topic you're going to be talking about on each card based on the dice roll. Yeah. But one person doesn't get that. They just get one that says you are the chameleon. Yeah. And then everyone has to go around the circle and say one word about the the specific topic. Sure. But the chameleon has to try to say a word. That's either neutral enough that it can fit a lot of circumstances or pick up the topic from what people are saying. So if you're lucky, you're third Mm -hmm. to go. And then you've you've kind of started to assume a certain knowledge. But if you're the first one. Oh, man. I was first. And it was rough. (laughs) It was phobias was the the topic. And I believe ours was germs. Okay. And I was first. And I didn't know it was germs. I didn't know what it was. And I was like... Uh, like it's hard to think of something really general that's yeah. not too general. Yeah, yeah. Mine was too general, <laughs> so I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think I was lucky because I, I was when I was chameleon, I was a few a few away from the 
the start. So oh yeah, no, I that's got a, nice. I got a sense of what it was. Yeah. Um. But oh yeah, and we were talking. I was talking about how oh last time or about a year ago we were doing this fairy tale card, and I realized that Duncan and two of our other friends yeah didn't know the story of the princess and the pea. Okay, that's weird. And I was like, what? I was like in the room with four people, and I was the only person who knew that fairy tale. That's weird. Yeah, but then we started talking about the paper bag princess, and okay. how they all thought it was the paper bag princess. Then we all started talking about how the paper bag princess story. It is a but good But I thought story. it was interesting that everyone there knew it. Yeah. Because like Duncan, it was just him and his brother. And so it's interesting to me that that was a story that was read to them, even though it was about a princess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Thomas's snowsuit. I just remember the yes. title of it. That's a good one. The one with the, f- the the permanent markers is also good. Yes, that one is also very good. Yeah. <laughs> but I used to... I think this is also purely Canadian, talking about oh, Thomas yeah. Munch. To- Robert Munch. Oh, Robert Munch, sorry. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about Robert Munch that's really good is that he is very inclusive okay. with his... Um, with his artwork yes so he doesn't do the art he ha- he has or sorry, with it but with his stories yeah, right yeah and like the the person who does the art is also very inclusive even with even with background characters mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so there was one there's one book that's about a girl who has a wheelchair okay and it's about her picking out a new wheelchair and she wants to get like a really fast one um but her mom wants her to get like one that's not as fast okay but when i was um, when I was a nanny, or I used to do childcare for a family that had a girl uh, who was di- who had disabilities. Yeah. And she used to be in a wheelchair and had recently moved up to using a walker. Okay. But she, whenever we read that book, she loved it. Yeah. And there was another Robert Munch book that she loved because there was a girl in the background of one of the pages who was in a wheelchair. Okay. And was holding a baby doll. Huh. And this girl loved babies. Yeah. And so it was very important to her to be able to see this character that looked like her. Hmm. which was nice that is cool yeah it's important for kids to be able to see people that look like that stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that is nice so back to the song mare oh yeah after a brief detour into C- canadiana yeah. this is the album that geffen got mad at the band though because yes. they wanted them to do a grunge album they wanted them to kind of be in the it was moment the early 90s the early 90s 94 of course nirvana had was out in it and stuff like that and it's funny i was watching an interview i'd a interview at the time with Jay Ferguson from the band who wrote this song. This is another Jay song because I was going through a Jay phase when I was doing these mixtapes, obviously. Um, but he was interviewed on some news program mm-hmm. at this time when their first album came out. And he called uh, Nirvana bubblegum music. Yep. I thought that was kind of funny, sort of snobby, but yeah. funny. But yeah, so they they did this album. Geffen didn't want them to do it. Geffen told them, if you do this album, we won't support it. And when they made it anyway, Geffen did what they said. They didn't support it. They didn't promote it. They didn't push it in the States. It kind of died on the vine in the States. And it did all right in Canada. It was very pretty popular in Canada. Like, it was big rotation yeah, on, on Much on Music, radio. I remember. And Yeah, I don't listen to the radio, but I saw it on Much Music when I was... Oh, I'm sure it was on the radio a lot. Yeah. And the bass, singer bassist Chris Murphy said that he felt that grunge would have a short shelf life. And the band should attempt to separate itself from the bandwagon and the multitude of bandwagon jump- jumpers that were driving it towards a cliff. That's fair. You know, so... That's, that is uh, better foresight than Geffen had. <laughs> yes. But when they when the album was done and when, every, when the dust settled, they were deeply in debt to Geffen. Yeah. And yeah. with no real way of paying it off. And so the band felt that the only way out was to break up. And so they did. They broke up for most of 1995. They weren't a band. Sad. Yeah, it is kind of sad. But they did other things. That's when Chris Murphy was drumming with Super Friends and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. But anyway, great song, I think. 
it's always it's a really popular one at their concerts as well. You're, yes, uh, it's w- one of the guaranteed yeah. oldies to get played at a, at a show. Well, because we we went and saw them. Was that this year that we saw them? Yeah, it was February March. This year? Yeah. Down in Seattle? No, 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 in Vancouver. Oh, that's right. We went to the Commodore. Yeah, we saw them for their um their twenty year. Um, I think they're doing Navy Blues. They yeah, it was their twenty-year Navy Blues tour where they played the entirety of the album Navy Blues. They played all Navy Blues and then they and they did play Snowsuit Sound because they played they all of Navy Blues and then later played. Yeah, they played some the hits, some hits for the for the people who came from the radio stations to. Yeah, they're the ones who are going play Money City Maniacs. Money City Maniacs was on Navy Blues, so they were. Oh like, yeah, they were fine. Play that other song, the good Blues in California. Oh, losing. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> all right, let's move on. Let's listen to... Yeah, most of the... I mean, I guess most of the songs that people know them very well for yeah. would be on Navy Blues. Like the, yeah, that was a big hit. The, uh, the ones that are played in um, stadiums but, and stuff. Yeah, that's definitely a stadium song because it has the the uh, alarm, the yeah. uh, siren sound to it. Mm-hmm. So that's like a popular... And it's, you know, it's kind of a very dramatic song. Yeah. It's like basically designed to be played on the radio, that song. Yeah. And played in rinks, rinks and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, I mean, the album before that one... One Chord to Another was also a very popular album just because it had uh, whatever the songs are. It had those two songs. Yeah. had a couple of hits. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying. The Good and Everyone. The Good and Everyone. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then the other one. Da, 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 do, 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 do. I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember all the song except for the title of it. Anyway, that's all right. Silly me. All right, Mary, let's go on to our next song. Let's listen to some Gene Clark. Do you like Gene Clark? I don't know. Let's see. Okay. <laughs> I just meant, do you like him in general? But okay, let's let's just listen to the song, everyone. Well, I don't know. This I don't is... know many Gene Clark songs. Oh, okay. You don't know that many Gene Clark songs? No. Hmm. I know of Dillard and Clark. Yeah, you know his work with the birds. I, know, I also know the birds. Yeah, but uh, let's listen to this, al- this song from his album, uh, White Light, that came out in 1971. This is With Tomorrow. Let's hear it. It was more like a dream than reality I must have thought it was a dream while she was here with me When she was near I didn't think she would leave When she was gone it was too much to believe So with tomorrow Another moment of joy and sorrow And another dream And another with tomorrow So with the sun there won't be time just to look behind There won't be reasons, no descriptions for my place and mine There was so much I was told it was not real So many things that I could not taste but I could feel So if tomorrow I will borrow 
another moment of joy and sorrow and another dream and another with tomorrow And we're back. Mary, thoughts on With Tomorrow? Uh, I thought it was a really good song. Okay, good. Yeah. Sorry, I was just looking at my notes and I was like, which one are we on? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, this is a really good song. I liked it a lot. I thought it was pretty sweet. Yes, it's very good. Yeah. It is a very, very nice song. So we, yeah, you said you knew D- Dillard and Clark. So after I know of Dillard and Clark. You know of them. You don't know them personally, obviously. No, but I, I also don't think I can name a single song by them. Polly? Don't know it. If the wild bird could sing, he'd sing of play. You know that one? Nope. Really? Mm. Well. Through the morning, through the night? Mm, sounds familiar. I'm not going to sing anymore. Okay. That's okay. So after the breakup of Dillard and Clark. That's for our other podcast, Sneaky Dragon Singing Party. That's right. That's a different one. Dave can try and sing Polly and not sound like he's straining too much. Mm-hmm. If the wild bird could sing. Eating of places you have been. You know that one? Mm, doesn't sound familiar. Well, I can go on, but I'm not going to. No, that's okay. I'm not asking. We played it on the show before. On this show? Yep. Really? Yep. Hmm. Strange. Way to pay attention. Interesting. So Dillard and Clark broke up mostly because Dillard insisted on introducing traditional bluegrass into, into the mix. And uh, Clark kind of lost interest after that. Also, he was drinking a lot. Clark or Dillard? Both of them. Oh. So then he, he left Dillard and Clark, and he started working on a new single with the original members of the Birds. Uh, but they were all so unhappy with each other that he had to work with each of them separately and record right. the, record their parts, each part separately. Unfortunately, the single, which had the songs She's, She's the Kind of Girl and One in a Hundred, which are both really good songs, were not released because of legal problems. Uh, so shortly after that, Clark left L.A. and moved to Northern California, to a town called Albion, Albion. on the coast, uh, with his new wife, whose name was Carrie Lynn McCummings, and she had been a former production assistant at Bell Records. Uh, now, Clark was still with A&M. Dylan Clark were signed to A&M, and so his contract was still with A&M. And so he released his second solo album. His first solo album was with Columbia. His second one, his this was his second, because he mm-hmm. did Dylan Clark after his first solo album. So this was his second solo album, even though it came out quite a few years after his first. Um, different. Yeah, on a different label. So, uh, which um, is called White Light. It's often called Gene Clark by people, but the actual name of the album was White Light. Okay. It just didn't have the name of the album on the front cover. It oh. said Gene Clark. It didn't say White Light, so everyone assumes. But you know what I find really annoying is when an album doesn't say the band name on the cover. Mm, yeah, I don't mind that. But, I don't like that. Because uh, when I, you know, when you grow, when you buy the album, like in the old days when you would buy the album, it would have a, you know, a sleeve on, like a plastic. You know, wrap you know, uh, wrapper on it or whatever. What do you call it? Shrink wrap, shrink wrapped. Yep. And then would have like the late, like the band's name on it that way. Right. And so I always thought this kind of neat when you just sort of erase all that from it, and it's just the band is so iconic that they don't need to have. Right. But it's but really sometimes annoying. Sometimes they're not. It's really annoying when you're looking through like thrift stores for yeah, like, CDs. Yeah, exactly. And then you find an album, and you're like, 
I have no idea who this is by. And you're like looking at the back and you're like trying to like see if you can like recognize a name on the back. And I you're know. Like, I don't, I'm no, I'm just going to go up here. And of course the problem for me is like, I have to take my glasses off to read the fine print on oh, the, yeah. so I'm like taking my glasses off and like holding the CD <laughs> yeah. spine, like up to my eyes, yeah. almost t- touching my nose. Doesn't help. Doesn't help. Um, so this album was produced by a guitarist whose name was Jesse Ed Davis he was a Native American guitarist who had worked in L.A. as a session musician and then also played with, uh, he backed Taj Mahal, this uh, blues guy, in his first on his first four albums. And actually, um, Davis wrote, he co-wrote Until Tomorrow with, with Gene Clark. So they, it's a, it's a co- co-write this song. Unfortunately for poor old Gene, this album was not a success. Sorry. He, um, as usual, he didn't want to tour to promote the album because he did not like touring. And... That, is, that said, is never good no, for an artist. It does not help. I don't think there's ever been a case where... And they didn't like to tour to promote to promote their album, but the record label was totally fine with it, <laughs> and they were super successful anyway. <laughs> does not happen. Yeah, it's pretty rare. It's happened, but it's pretty rare. Usually they put a bit of work in at the beginning, and then you can kind of coast for a while. Right. Like a band like Steely Dan. Like after their third album, I guess? They stopped touring. Okay. And we're just a studio-only project. But they'd already had like lots of hits and t- toured and stuff like that and built up a fan base. So they had something to fall back on when they decided to I not mean, to appear. be fair, it's not like this was the first thing he'd ever done. Yeah. Right? Like he but the been first, with the birds, he'd yeah. been with the Illidan Clark, but all and he'd had his first solo album. Yeah. But also, unless you're a super fan, you're not gonna look at that and be like, Oh right, from the birds. Yeah. You're gonna be like, Who's this? Exactly. That's a problem that artists don't understand when they leave a group. Like the birds. Mm. The birds are famous. Yeah. Gene Clark isn't famous. Buffalo Springfield is famous. Yeah. You are not famous, Graham Nash. Graham oh, Nash wait. wasn't in. Sorry, Stephen Stills. <laughs> Stephen Stills, yeah, exactly, yeah. 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 Yeah, well, he was, I mean, that's what's kind of clever about Crosby, Stills, and Nash, mm-hmm. is putting their names together. Yes. You give yourself recognition outside of the group as well. Yeah. But you're right. Like, you could say that about Neil Young, right? Buffalo Springfield's popular. Neil Young, you're not. Yeah. Like, Neil Young's first albums were not successful. It wasn't no. until he joined up with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young that he mm-hmm. started to taste real success. But yes, it doesn't help. And so what also doesn't help is when you do that and then your then your record company, A&M, doesn't want to put money into promoting you because they just think it's throwing good money after bad. And so they gave put modest promotion into the album and it didn't really work too well. So in 1972, Clark started work on a third solo album for A&M, but the slow and expensive recording process caused A&M to terminate their contract with Clark and cancel the album. And so... They took the eight tracks that had been recorded, the two songs he had recorded with the birds, and strangely added a track by the Flying Burrito Brothers, which I don't think he was in. I don't think it's a song with him in it. It might be. I don't know. But it was all released on Roadmaster in 1973. It was an album called Roadmaster in 1973, but it was only released in the Netherlands. It's been re-released since then, but at the time it was only released that way because White Light had been a big hit in the Netherlands. In fact, it was voted album of the year there by, by in a critics poll. Oh, weird. And so he had a big hit there. So they thought, oh, well, we'll just throw it out in, in Netherlands. But nowhere else did it come out. Hmm. Poor Gene Clark. Always always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Yeah. He just never quite made it. It's too bad. Because he, he was such a talented person. Oh, like, yeah. His songs, no, this is a great song. His songs are uniquely, you know, uniquely yeah. great. Like, mm-hmm. they all have this very interesting quality to them. They're, they're, they have this very thoughtful, pensive quality to them. And did he write songs for the birds as well? Oh yeah, like she don't yeah. care about time. That's a great song. It is a great song. Um, that uh, one. Turn, turn, turn. No, no, those are covers. Oh. That's a cover of a Pete Seeger song. Uh, 
via Ecclesiastes. But no, um, he wrote quite a few songs for them. And can I remember the titles of these songs now? Uh, I can't. Eight Set Miles you f- High. No, oh, he did write Eight Miles High, yeah. Mm-hmm. Set You Free This Time. Oh, that's another great song. Um, he wrote... Wait, was he the one who was obsessed with planes? No, no Roger was... McGuinn was right, obsessed Roger with McGuinn. planes. That's, that's why, why he changed, changed his name to Roger. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Apparently it was some religious thing. Numerology. Yeah, subdued religion. But but um, there's a song by... Get Set You Free This Time. Oh, Set You Free This Time. Yeah, that's a song. Yeah, yeah that's a great song. That's what I was trying to think of the title of. of but he wrote, a lot, he wrote a lot of other songs for them. They're, you know, he, they're all great. And But, it, you know, because he was such a good songwriter and so early in the Bird's career that he was making a lot of money from his songwriting and they and the other mem- members weren't. So there's a lot of jealousy. Yeah, that's hard. I think, yeah. I mean, I guess it's not possible for every band, but Sloan definitely... Sloan's did a special that, case because, right. but because all they of them all are, write yeah, songs. They all right? write and yeah. and they all write on each other's songs as well. Like mm-hmm. you know, people are contributing all the right. time. And... It's like um, it's like on a TV show. Yeah. When someone is a writer for the show, but they didn't write the episode, but they did contribute to it, so they get producer credits. So yeah, they're getting yeah. paid for their work on the episode. Right? That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, well, speaking of Sloan again, um, Chris Murphy was talking about the fact that, like, at his insistence, the band made like a riff bank. So if they think of a riff, but they don't really have a song for it, they just put it into like the riff bank. Cool. And so any one of them can kind of draw from that if they're looking for like a middle eight right. or something like that. Like they need like a, you know, if they have like a, a lyrics, but they don't have like a melody for it, they can go and look in the riff bank. Mm-hmm. And, That's you cool. know, anyone can use it. Although Chris Murphy admitted that he mostly was the one who, who used it. Right. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, very fair. Okay. So let's move on from Gene Clark. Oh, if you want to say something I else. I think it helps ahead. that they're friends as well. Yes. I think it helps that they like started out as friends mm-hmm. and they seem like they're still very good friends and yeah. they seem like they're all very like reasonable people who are passionate about music more than fame. That's for sure. They definitely, and they grew up together in a scene and they came up at a yeah. time when, and they also came through a scene that was, you know, the punk rock scene in Halifax where, you know, this idea of, you know, equality and sharing and cooperation mm-hmm. and co-op, you know, like the whole co-op idea was a real big part of it. Yeah. And yeah, that certainly informed them as well. And so a band like the Birds, you know, that, you know, some of them knew each other, some didn't, you know, yeah. like some were introduced by the manager into the band, you know, and, and, and they didn't grow up together. They didn't like have like formative experiences together. Mm-hmm. They just came together as a musical entity and, yeah. and because they had similar interests in like duplicating the Beatles into their kind of, into their particular milieu. So, yeah. All right, Mary, let's, uh, let's give a listen to Greg Sage. All right, let's hear it. This is Greg, Greg Sage. Uh, the album is Straight Ahead. The song is called Straight Ahead. Mm-hmm. And the year is Straight Ahead. The year is Straight Ahead of us. Actually, it's behind us. The year it was 1985. Oh. Fooled you. Let's listen to Greg Sage. Here we go. Look straight Just straight 
many heartaches Just too many times There's so many people here Just so many trying But who's gonna save us When we reach the end Tell me who's gonna be there Who's gonna be your friend? Well, we're such too long to end up lost. You can't look back, you just look straight. Just straight ahead. Sometimes feel that we just don't have a chance. They'll give you odds, man, that we are the last. They build the toys that'll blow you dead. There's anger in their Okay, and we're back. And Mary? Yes? Do you have any great sage thoughts? Do you have any sage thoughts for us? Ha ha ha. Um, I like the song. Oh, good. It's a good song. I was really unsure. It's pretty 80s, I think. You think of it as 80s, hey? Well, it is from the 80s. I know it is from the 80s, but but, I mean, it's not a timeless sounding. the thing is, Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. It is not, it doesn't have sounds that make it feel like it. Yeah could only be in the 80s yeah you know like it is yeah and like because i think that that's the thing about sort of songs that are a little bit more like punk sounding yeah yeah is that they um yeah they they just they don't have those those 80s sounds that i don't like right like they don't have that like sort of new wave synth drum machine sound right yeah well that's it like sort of and they're 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 not as produced as yeah oh and they're not they're not, they're, yeah, they're not as produced and they're probably not being, they're not being designed for mass marketing. Mm, that's right? for sure. Like they're not, they're not being told like, oh, you need to sound like Flock of Seagulls yeah. so that we can get you on the radio yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right? No, that's not what Greg Sage was about. Yeah. No, you're right. Oh, I'm glad you like the song. I think it's a great song. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a very simple kind of driving song. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not oh, a lot going on. The guitar it, is very simple and yeah. stuff, but, but I think it's really great. And I just love the the come the come back around to straight ahead you know i just think his mm-hmm. voice is really great it that, is, and, yeah. and so yeah he's from portland oregon or he was from portland oregon um it's interesting his dad worked in in radio and i guess in the 60s in the early 60s they were getting rid of like radio stations believe it or not mary had big had big um lathes like record cutting lathes in their cool. in, the, in the radio station so they could make recordings in the studio, so they might like That's record commercials, and they would be on a on a acetate disc okay. that would be cut on a lathe. Right. 
and then they then they started developing like carts using carts like they're they're a kind of a a very short um cassette that you play and it, what's good about a cart is that it always is at start so right. when you play it it'll play through the commercial and then when you play it again it'll be at the beginning you don't have to rewind it or anything it's always at the beginning gotcha like when i worked at michael's yeah and they would just have all these tapes that they played that they got sent from corporate or whatever yeah and they would have um music and then intercut ads okay okay and they would have like the ads of the week mm. right and then that christmas time they would have like christmas music and like the christmas ads or whatever yeah they'd have like yeah. oh here's like the framing deal of the week so like play this one this week sure so like a radio station like top 40 radio stations would often have like the the top popular songs would be on carts as well they would record them onto a cart right so then they could just plug in and play they didn't have to set up the record every time yeah, they want to play to, like, popular find songs exactly where it starts yeah and stuff. yeah and so and so his dad said hey well if you guys are getting rid of this stuff i'll, I'll buy one and so he bought this disc cutting lathe and he brought it home for for his, for greg sage to play with and so sage started like making records at home he started like recording and he started playing instruments so he could like see the the effect they had as it was being recorded and like he really like bass because it would record these big wide grooves okay. into the record and so he did that for a while recorded his friends and things like that and he made his professional debut as a guitar player playing for this guy he was a professional wrestler and his name his wrestling name was Beauregard Beauregard, Beauregard yeah and he was like a big deal in the Pacific was Northwest he... okay and so is... he was also a musician. Okay. And so in 1971, he put out a solo album called Beauregard. And and he hired Ooh. Greg Sage to play guitar in it because he'd heard him playing with a friend's band uh, at this studio in Portland called Sound Sound Productions. And so he heard him in 1969. And so a couple of years later, he hired him to play on, on the on this record. So is wrestling like a big thing in Portland or in Oregon? Is it like a thing? Why do you ask that? I don't know. Probably. I mean, it's a big thing everywhere. Once, once upon a time, it was a big thing everywhere, Mary. Hmm. Like when I grew up, there was wrestling here at Cloverdale. They had wow. yeah. all-star wrestling there. You know, well. That's where Rowdy Roddy Piper started. Yes, I knew that. I used to talk about him. Yeah. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Of <laughs> They Live. They Live, but he also went on to the WWE. You know, right. Like the, big, yeah. the big wrestling circuit here in um, North America. I do not know that many people who are into wrestling, mm-hmm. except for I used to tutor a couple of First Nations families in Chilliwack. Okay. And those kids were super into wrestling. All right. They're, all their walls were covered in like wrestling posters. Oh, cool. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. And because the other thing was reading Love and Rockets comics. Yes. And the like Latino families there were also really into wrestling. Me- wrestling's really big in Mexico. You know, they have the... Luchadors. Luchadors with, yeah. her, with her masks. Because one stuff. of the characters' aunts was a wrestler. Aunt in, Gloria. Yeah, in Love and Rockets. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I thought those interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and when I grew up, and when the when the Hernandez brothers grew up, we're approximately the same age. Mm-hmm. They would have watched local wrestling, right? You know, like they don't really have that now. No, like now it's a bigger, much bigger thing, mm-hmm. more professional. But when I grew up, there was you could watch Stampede Wrestling, which came out of Calgary, right? Then you could watch Also Wrestling, which came out of Cloverdale here right. in, in the Lower Mainland, and yeah, and so you'd watch all these various. Mm-hmm. Uh, wrestlers, of course, you believed it like nobody's business because yeah. you're a little kid. But, but yeah, no, I mean, have you watched Fighting with My Family, the movie? No, it has Florence Pugh in it. Oh, I didn't know that. Role. I didn't know that. She's great. We love her. Yeah. Um, but it's about. Now that you tell me that, I'm probably gonna watch it. Yeah, it's on Crave. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about a girl 
from a little town in England. Okay. And she comes from a wrestling family. Okay. And they have like a local wrestling thing that they do. So they have like a wrestling oh. sort of school, but then they also do, it's like based on a true story of this yeah. woman. Um, and it's based on, or yeah, and they have like a, they do like local wrestling stuff and she enters a competition um, to join like WWE and mm. she ends up getting in. Wow. And cool. so it's about sort of her pro. I think yeah, yeah. her wrestler's name is Paige. I haven't. I, mean, I, I haven't followed. Yeah, I haven't followed but... wrestling a long time. I used to watch it when I, in the eighties. But okay, yeah. But uh, yeah, because my grandma watched wrestling. Right. And so that you know, I watched it with my grandma. Mm-hmm. I watched wrestling and roller roller derby. Cool. With, roller derby is cool. Yeah, with my grandma. So yeah, she was she was into these very violent sports. I like that. You know, she depression people, but also I think it's a socioeconomic thing as well. Oh, totally. You know, she was a farm girl. Yeah. So she came out of a certain certain yeah. educational. Yeah. Certain education, a certain certain. Uh, money you mm-hmm. know certain certain class now that we have classes here in canada but you know what i mean a certain we, have, we have economic levels we have economic levels we, do we don't have really classes have classes but you know what i mean we don't yeah. really have like a set no one says a lower class or whatever but right. but we do have economic levels oh totally yeah. but uh yeah so so cut to about six years later he was mm-hmm. working in a movie theater and he was okay. washing the windows and he had this great idea he's going to start a band he's going to call them the wipers okay and th- his idea was that they wouldn't tour Okay. They wouldn't do interviews. They wouldn't do any promotion. Okay. Don't think in terms of Greg, of Gene Clark. <laughs> they were going to record 15 albums in 10 years. Okay. This was yeah. his plan. Yes. Uh, none of it worked out quite the way he wanted. No. But that was how he envisioned it. And so what happened was, for, for Straight Ahead, what happened was after the band's third album, which is called On the Edge, the uh, after they recorded the album, the Sage invested $5,000 of his own money into the, into the album. Oh, wow. And after they finished it, the band's label went bankrupt. And so they took the money. They took the money they owed the band. Yeah. And they, they started up a different label. Oh. And so Sage was had this $5,000 debt hanging over his head. So that was pretty much the end of the Wipers. And so he had... Um, so he just kind of like split from Portland. He was went to the Mojave Desert and he was there. And he just sat, sat there for like a few days or a week or whatever. And he just started writing all these songs on acoustic guitar. Cool. So he basically wrote the whole album straight ahead in the Mojave. Yeah. In the Mojave desert. And now one, th- one thing about him is that not only did he like, like cutting um, records when he was a kid, but he also was really into like production and stuff like that. So he produced all of the wipers albums oh, Okay. and he also built his own equipment. So he would build cool. and he just did only stuff with tubes. So he would build all these like pr- tube preamps and stuff like that. And so he built all his own equipment. He recorded the band. He would do all that stuff. And so around this time, he was fixing an eight-track tape recorder for a friend. Mm-hmm. And part of the deal was if he got it working, he could keep it for a month and use it to record. So he got it working. So he he recorded straight ahead as an album on this eight-track. And after you know after he did that and returned the tape machine and stuff like that, he got contacted by this guy from another label. And I think this would be Enigma Records because this is where I know uh, this album from. And this guy had worked for the previous label that had kind of ripped him off. And he, and he contacted Great Sage and, because he felt bad about how he, they had been treated by, the, by that other label. Right. And so he offered to license Sage's Straight Ahead for the, for the record label, as well as a live record and some older material. And basically, he got Sage and the band out of debt. And uh, the Wipers kind of continued, not not the white, not as you know, not always the same configuration, but right. the Wipers continued as a project until until 1999. Unfortunately, he did not succeed in uh, his his uh, 15 albums in 10 years goal. He only did six in 10 years. Oh. But there you go. 
That's Greg Sage. I'm glad you liked it, though. It's a good song. And I'm going to play a song by The Wipers. Can I just quickly say that? Oh, please do. Um, Straight Ahead was on Restless Records. Restless Records. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if that was a, a subsidiary or if they had a... Had a um, because where I first heard it was on an album called The Enigma Variations, which was a compilation of, uh, of songs. It did start by Enigma Records. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it was the, called The Enigma Variations. I think it was their second collection of um, like a sampler of various various uh, artists that were on their label. That's where I first heard Game Theory. Like, I love that compilation because I got introduced to uh, Greg Sage and to Game Theory on that <laughs> compilation. Oh, okay. That was really good. Good compilation. I remember uh, staying up all night long uh, doing the layout for generic drivel because so I had to bring it to the printers the next day. I stayed up all night long, which is not something I did very often then. So I was really exhausted, and I, I spent all night listening to No Fun and the Enigma Variations. And then I packed up everything, took it to the printers, and then I went to school, where I promptly fell asleep in classroom and banged my head on a table. Literally banged my head on the table. So, that was a real rude wake up, as they call it. Okay. Okay, sorry. Here's a little thing. Yep. So it says, uh, so Restless started in 1986. Yeah. Um. And 1991. But this album came out in 85. That's weird. Yeah, it is weird. Um, but maybe you said that the guy reached out to him. Yeah. So this is yeah. one of like the first things that they... Oh, well, it says it was released in 85, so that's strange. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it says, 1991, Restless, and a number of Enigma uh, records. Titles were acquired by Bill Hine and Joe Regis and relaunched in Hollywood. Huh. So I wonder if that was part of that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Enigma went out of business. I don't know why. They bought, they licensed the Bizarre Straight label material in the early 90s. So they were putting out Tim Buckley uh, records. They were putting out Captain Beefheart, Trout Mass Replica. They were putting okay. out um, uh, GTOs. Okay. Unfortunately, I, could never, I never could find the GTOs and I never found Wildman Fisher on CD at that time. I looked everywhere for them. This is in the days when you just couldn't order things online. So right. you just hoped you'd find things. But I got like Tim Buckley. I got... Um, what else did I find that was on the Bizarre Street label? Oh, uh, Tom Waits. Yeah, stuff like that. So. so yeah, Restless went on to become like their own thing. Mm. Um, but they had, they like acquired a bunch of Twin slash Tone Records label. And twin Tone, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. a replacements label. Yeah. The replacement Soul Asylum, Jayhawks, and Ween. Wow. And at this time, this was 1992, they also had They Might Be Giants, The Cramps, Devo, The Flaming Lips. Mm-hmm. That's pretty others. good. That's a yeah. pretty good uh, run. Um, and then they were eventually acquired by Warner, 2006. They kill everything. <laughs> okay, well, I just want to play a song by The Wipers. Okay. Uh, just because, well, you know, it's not on any mixes. So let's give it a listen. This because we're talking about Greg Sage, and uh, I think The Wipers are a pretty great band. This is from Portland, Oregon. This is The Wipers. Here we go, everyone. The world, caught up in the material world, 
Where the forces of darkness come inside No place to run, no place to hide Every day, try so hard in your own way. Just waiting, waiting for the day when strength and numbers come your way. That was The Wipers with So Young uh, from their album, their 1983 album, Over the Edge, the album that uh, caused so much trouble for them when the record label folded rather than rather than release it. Pretty good. Pretty pretty punky, right, Mare? Yes, I liked it. It was fun. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it out there. Maybe you haven't heard The Wipers before. They're not a band that has traveled very far, I don't think, in, uh, in a world. But those, that's, the sort of, that's the sort of thing that I grew up listening to, everyone. Because I am old. All right, Mayor, hmm? do you want to hear another song from the mix? Yes. What's the next one? The next one is Lullaby Baxter. What? Our old Again? friend. Yes. A bit more CanCon for us, too. Oh, yeah. This is a Lullaby Baxter from her second album, Garden Cities of Tomorrow. 
uh, which came out in 2006. And let's listen to a song that's called, this song's for you, Mary. Mm-hmm. It's called What's Wrong With You. What? <laughs> Here we go. Rude. Lullaby Baxter from her 2006 album, Garden Cities of Tomorrow. Mary, thoughts and praises, please. Only praises and thoughts. Only praises? Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good song. Okay. I thought it was very sweet. Yes. 
I thought it was maybe a little bit too sweet. <laughs> Just maybe a little bit. Like I've, I've, I have had this complaint about a couple songs before. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like songs can be a little bit too light to the point where they feel sort of insubstantial. Wow. I feel that way about this one. Oh, okay. Interesting. I really like the the sound of this album. Yeah. Which I found uh, in a used... This one's not Capable Egg, is it? Or it is Capable No, egg. this is from Garden Cities of Tomorrow. Oh, right. Sorry, you said that. Her second album. And yeah, I didn't even know this album existed. I found it in a thrift store one time. Cool. Which is a crazy place to find an album like this. Yes, true. Uh, in Chilliwack, at the Valley Village in Chilliwack. Oh, nice. I stumbled across this album and I went... It's a small Valley Village. It is very small. And th- they don't have a very good CD... Uh, collection at all no, there they don't have very good anything collection <laughs> and i just yeah their books are awful too yeah. and i just picked this up and i went what i didn't even know this existed why is this even here what is this crazy and so i took it home and i listened to it and i and it was so different than the first one the first ones are very jazzy yeah kind of a thing i mean it used it used jazz players the orange symphonette mm-hmm. were played on that one is her first album capable egg yes that's right okay and this one is so much different sounding, but I really like it. But of course, the, I love the sound of like classic AM pop kind of sounds. Right. And, and this has a big, you know, a real kind of Beach Boysy uh, sunshine pop. It really, it really leans in that direction. But her voice doesn't. So it's a kind of interesting contrast between the music and her very kind of jazzy voice, jazzy inflections in, her, in the way she sings a song. So I think that's really cool. So yeah, this came out, this album came out six years after Capable Egg. And she has said that she did not consider herself ready to be a chanteuse, Mm. ready to be a recording artist when she did the first album. She didn't spend years singing. Right. She didn't spend time struggling. Mm -hmm. She didn't work her way up to being being a recording artist. Right. One day she said to a friend, wouldn't it be fun to record, make some songs and and record them? And, And her friend said, oh, that sounds like a fun idea. I'll write the lyrics. And you write the music. And then they said, okay. And so they made this album. And then next thing you know, they're signed to a major label. They're being flown from <laughs> to San Francisco and to New York to record stuff for yeah. this little, this lady who is like, you know, has a made up name from Scarborough, Ontario. Mm-hmm. And suddenly she, she's out there in, in this big, big world. And it really kind of hit her hard when after the album was done. Yeah. And she just kind of had to like step back from it all. Yeah. And she just said, this is weird and I'm, i don't know if i can handle it i can't yeah. handle like being a band leader yeah i can't handle any part of this i don't mm-hmm. understand any of it so she like took time away she had a baby good for her uh the baby has a interesting name mary you oh. like names yes what is it baby's name is lorenzo wolfgang i thought you were gonna say Baxter. lorenzo oil it would be such a callback but it's not lorenzo wolfgang interesting one time yeah uh, when I was in university, I had a friend. Her name was Gaia. Yeah. Gaia Tree. Um, and she was telling me a story about, I don't know, I can't remember what the story was about. It was long and it was not a super interesting story. Yeah. But at one point in the story, I realized that there were two people in the story named Wolfgang. Oh. And I was like, you know multiple people named Wolfgang? And she was like, yes. And I guess it's actually a pretty common name amongst Asian immigrants. Okay. Which I thought was very interesting. I think I think Mum taught a boy whose name was Wolfgang. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, right. Because they're fans of. I don't know. Maybe it's just like a powerful sounding name. I guess that's it. Yeah. Weird. But yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, that's curious. Mm-hmm. That's curious. Yeah. So she named her son Lorenzo Wolf- Wolfgang. Cool. Wolfgang is a second name. Yes. But and then she also wrote a 111-page manifesto entitled "Sing Songs for People." Okay. And uh, she 
decided. Did she described it as a manifesto. Yes. Okay. She has described it as a manifesto. Okay. She also says that she wanted to go in a different direction from her first album. So I guess she heard some music from this group who called this group this duo who called themselves Hercules. They're a New Orleans-based duo, and so she sent her songs to them, and they sent back the arrangements they thought that she should use for her songs. Cool. And she listened to them, and she immediately fired them. Oh. And then a few days later, she listened to it again, and then she shamefacedly rehired them. <laughs> and that was who produced the songs for this album, cool. this, this group called Hercules. And they are really interesting because they do like a very, obviously, very Baroque pop sound. Like they do very Baroque arrangements. It's a very Baroque pop, right. orc pop kind of arrangement on a budget. Yes. They do lavish sounds on the cheap. Cool. And if you are a fan of fan spanners, everyone, then you know, you know a little bit of Hercules because they are, I think it's Hercules. They they did an album as Hercules and they did an album as Fort Juniper. Okay. And so, but one of those albums is the theme music for fan spanners. One of the oh, songs from those albums. Cool. So Hercules is used for, our, for in our, in the, uh, what do I, what, what do we call it? The um, sneaky dragon. The sting. <laughs> sting? What's a sting? Like a musical sting. It's like a small oh, musical, musical sting! Musical. I was gonna say in the in the in the in the, oh, the sneaky cannon? dragon in the sneaky dragon universe. The canon. They're one of the bands that are in there. Yeah, canon. So, so yeah, so she she yeah had to shamefacedly rehire them, and I don't know. I just kind of I mean I can understand what you're saying, but I I love their I love their arrangements on this album, That's and I fair. love her voice. With I mean, them it's possible. Stuff. I just need to re-listen to it. I own well i just because it is a later song in the mm-hmm. album i didn't listen to it as many times as i did the earlier songs, okay okay just because of where it was but also because it was sort of in between a bunch of songs that i already knew okay if that makes sense yeah yeah no but yeah because you didn't know greg sage either but... i did oh you did yeah i know i know straight ahead i have it on my phone oh okay i didn't know you did i didn't know you oh, like yeah. the song oh that's great yeah i show you have a good taste man i know <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let's let's leave Lullaby Baxter behind. She's great. She is great. She's great. You can find her on Bandcamp, everybody. She has a new album out on there that's quite good. It's but it's all it's basically a piano album. It's a piano piano album uh, that she did with her. I assume it's her husband, at least significant other. Plays the piano and she does the singing. Cool. Good for her. Let us move on to the last song on this mixtape, Mary. What is it? I know you're excited. What is it? This is Belle and Sebastian. The song is Stay Loose. Really? The album is Dear Catastrophe Wait- uh-huh. Waitress. And the year was 2003. All those things are true. Are they? I hope so. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm a big fat liar. Yep. But let us listen to Belle and Sebastian right now, everyone. This is Stay Loose. This is our ender. This is our, this is our cassette ender, yes. mixtape ender. Yep. This is where it all stops. This is where the, the leader runs out. Mm-hmm. So let's let's listen to this song. This Here we is go. where our song goes into either back into the first song of the album, mm. or if you are like me and have a multi CD player, it goes <laughs> to a completely different CD, and then you're like, oh, and then you have to press go back CD, and then it has to like click 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 <laughs> click and move around a bunch. Then you have to like skip forward to song number twelve so that you listen to the second side again, <laughs> which is what I did like three times. Oh well, <laughs> that's nice to have a fancy disc player. I only have one. My only place one. I have six. Ugh. And an aux input, thanks. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I put that in there for you. Yes, you did. What a nice dad. Yep. All right, my dear. Let's listen to Stay Loose. Right. Here we go. Rocket. Rocket? It's yeah, rock. Rocking song. Kind of rocking. Anyway, Fair let's tough. listen to it. Here we go. Rocket. 
Television is the news. Television is hysterical laughter of people. I don't know it could be me. I'm always asking for more, 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 more. I keep running round in circles. I keep looking for a doorway. I'm gonna need two lives to follow the paths I've been taking. And we're back. That was our final song, Mary. What do you think of a final song on this album? Such a great song. I love this song. It's so good. I love the guitar in it. And you know what? Yeah? I don't think I don't think there's many albums out there that mm-hmm. I love more than this one. <laughs> Dear Catastrophe Waitress is such a good album. It is I almost think so too. perfect. I believe. I agree with you. Yeah. What is it not perfect because of that one song that Sarah Martin sings? Is that the one song? I feel like that where it, where it kind of... Uh, oh. Something about Sleep on a Sunbeam or whatever? No, I like a Sleep on a Sunbeam. Oh. I'm not a big fan of Lord Anthony. Oh, yeah, Lord Anthony. That's that's a bit too it's slow. It's a little too sad. A little the too... lyrics are so sad. It makes me really sad. Yeah. With this poor boy. Yeah. He's getting beat up. Yeah. The whole... I feel like it's like a bad message for a song, too. Why? Like, the whole message for the song is don't be yourself. Don't be yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that message. That's why I don't no. like 40-Year-Old Virgin. Or uh, Grease. Or Grease. That's right. Yeah. I love uh, Olivia Newton-John when she's wearing her, her poodle dress and mm-hmm. has hair. And then when she's wearing like her black clothes and smoking. Yeah. Blech. Don't change yourself for a boy, Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. It's not worth it. That's exactly Be right. Be yourself. Follow your own heart. That's what's so great about Nancy Drew, the 2006 Nancy yes. Drew. Is that all these girls want to change her dress style. And mm-hmm. she goes to a, a dresser and they're like, look how she's dressed. It's terrible. And the store owner goes, I love your style. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Always good. be yourself. Yeah. Always be yourself. Yes. True. But yes, this is a great song, Mary. And, it is. And I think it does end the album, right? Yeah. It comes after Roy Walker, which is another great song. That is, it is such a great album. It's such a good album. They were like firing all cylinders. They were. And I think both Stevie Jackson and Stuart Murdoch, who were both writing songs at this mm-hmm. time. We're like one upping each other. Yeah. Like every time one one wrote a song, the other one be like, "Well, that's really good." Yeah. I got to do a better song. You know what else is on this this album? Wrapped up in books. Wrapped up in books is on here. Very good. Dear catastrophe waitress, of course. I'm a cuckoo. I'm a cuckoo. Oh, what a good song. Um, if you find yourself caught in love. If you find yourself caught in love, I was trying to think. I knew it had love in it, but yeah, yeah. it's got uh, seven to my office. Step into my office, baby. It's so good. So good. Every single song. And then the one about going to the woods and uh, looking down. And all these seeing trees. I can't remember. I don't know what the song's called. Uh, if you want me, if you want. Yeah. If she uh, wants me. If she wants me. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. So good. Mike Piazza, New York Catcher yeah. is great. It's just. They're all good. It's a great album. Even Asleep on a Sunbeam, I like. Yeah, I like it. It's fine, but yeah. it's not my favorite. Again, Lord Anthony, not my favorite. 
makes me very sad here with this poor boy is getting beat up for wearing mascara to school yeah i don't i never picked that i mean because i'm not really a lyrics yeah, guy so fine. i probably didn't pick up the but yeah the, the lyrics the, are like the lyrics. it's like uh like sometimes it's not worth it to be like the smartest kid in the classroom sometimes it's not worth it to be different than other kids mm. i don't think that's what they're saying i think they're i think they're I think they're commiserating with people who hide themselves yeah, because they don't fit in. And I can say that as someone who did hide himself because he didn't fit yeah. in. That's fair. Yeah. But like the way that I read it is like this boy wears mascara to school and then gets beat up for it. And yeah. say like, maybe it's not worth it to be different than other kids. I mean, like, no, you're right. I, I'm, now that I'm saying it, I'm seeing that it's not a, they're not saying that to the person. That's yeah. the person's own thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's still like, yeah. it's just different ways of interpreting it's hard, it. It's right? hard to be different. You know? It's hard to be different. It's hard. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, actually, I've, I've, I don't, I don't really find, I don't really get bothered by peer pressure. <laughs> no, really I, I think that's much of an issue. Yeah, me that. neither. I never. And I've always done my own thing. Yeah, me too. Which is like not always the best. No. Because no. it's hard to make friends when people are like, oh, let's do this thing. And you're like, I don't really want to. And they're like, oh. And you're like, well. Oh. I know. I was talking about this at work and people were surprised because I said, I said, oh yeah, I had. I, like they said, like you knew people who smoked in school, right, Dave? And I said, nope. I said, if I've, I said I had friends who started smoking, but then they weren't my friends anymore. I would yeah. just like move on. I wouldn't like get mad at them, no, or hate them or anything yeah. like that. It's just that that was this divide between us, yeah. And it just kind of made us separate from each mm-hmm. other, and we slowly drifted apart. Same with friends who started drinking, yeah. Because I didn't really like drinking. I, you know, I've talked about my feelings about it, and I'm not going to go into it, but you know, I just would sort of drift away from them, and mm-hmm. I would find a different friend group who didn't do that. Yep. You know, and that's, or I'd be by myself and I'd just spend my time kicking around in the summertime, Mm -hmm. you know, kicking rocks around. Yeah. Hitting things with a stick or whatever. (laughs) Or just sitting in my room reading or drawing, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's not, I always joke when people say, you know, how do you learn to draw? I say, take math. But also, (laughs) you know, like spend lonely hours in your room drawing. I mean, that's, that is a big similar, that's a, that's a very common thread with artistic people is, uh, spending a lot of time by yourself yeah right like that's how you get good at things is taking the time to focus on it sure sure um that's what's so hilarious about musicians is when they pretend to be cool mm. you know that they were never cool no because if they were cool they wouldn't they have spent wouldn't. all that time in their bedroom <laughs> yeah. playing guitar yeah you know and maybe that's the singer because the singer if they don't play like an instrument or whatever they really are just like a showman and maybe there is a sort of cool element to them yeah. you know where they just but yeah, for guitarists or people, you know, anyone who's got skills is a, mm-hmm. you know, most of those people spend a lot of time by themselves yep. and that's where they're comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why there's a lot of, a lot of, of, uh, a lot of, you know, alcohol or drug abuse in music because so many people are masking their shyness and yeah, their, and their, totally. you know, and how they're, you know, they'll sort of their anxiety, bound right? up way they feel, yeah. you know, like they need to mask mm-hmm. that exactly. Yeah, I remember, um. Well, Lucy Nisley w- wrote a comic when quarantine started about how she was supposed to be going to a comic convention. Yeah. Um, right when quarantine was happening and yeah. saying that it's like a place that she often feels out of her element as like an introvert. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's like, you know, something that you love to do and something that you kind of have to do for your job. Yeah. But it's also not really your element, right? Like you're, she's a cartoonist. Her thing that she did growing up would be sitting in her room drawing. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest with you, I love I love talking to people at comic, and like I love talking to people in that sort of mm-hmm. situation. Like I really do enjoy that. Yeah, I'm not I'm not shy that way. No, but I, you are also a person who likes to spend time on your own. Yeah, oh and for sure. You couldn't do that you, all the time. That? How do you know that, Mary? 
because I've known you for my entire life, maybe. <laughs> Almost 26 years. No, you're right. I do need to spend time away from people, you know. Yeah, I do too. I was thinking about when I was on the fishing boat, and I was feeling kind of bad because I would spend a lot of time not talking with the people I worked with on the boat. Oh, yeah. And I know that one of the reasons that I was invited to work on the boat was because the skipper liked me in farrier school and wanted oh. to con- continue like having you know a relationship having a, yeah. and being a friend having a friendship and stuff like that but on the boat i was very standoffish mm-hmm. because i felt very f- forced together and so yeah. i would always take advantage of free time s- free time or slow time to be away from everyone else and mm-hmm. i would like sit away from other people yeah i just couldn't help it i just need no, that time i, that. I, just need I mean that time. i bring a book to my lunch break every day yeah you know like i me too Although and, I do end up getting interrupted from it a lot. Yeah, same. Like it's hard to not, right? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. but I like to have it there so that I can do that if I am not interested in having a conversation with that yeah. day, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I also used to sometimes go and eat outside. But now that residents are back in the dining room and residents are eating lunch from 1230, like for, at 1230 rather than at noon. Yeah. Because they, there's an 1130 seating and a 1230 seating to, okay. split, to yeah. split up the... Sure. Um, keep some distance exactly yeah and um but that that means that i would have to be eating my lunch like where essentially where they're eating their lunch just on the wall or like windows from them yeah i'm like "Mm, i don't know i kind of like to be like away from residents when i'm on my break you know yeah yeah just don't blame you yeah it's not it's not really a break if you're like having to be around them (laughs) (laughs) yeah So, yeah, I don't have much to say. We talked about Bell and Sebastian a lot. So what's interesting about this album, though, is actually I uh, dug out my Mojo magazine to look at the review of this album from 2003. Mm-hmm. The album came, I think, in October 2003, but the, the review was in November, which I thought was strange. But anyway, um, yeah, so Trevor Horn, it was, they didn't approach Trevor Horn. Trevor Horn approached them to produce the album. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. he's kind of like a well-known producer. He right. produced a lot of, like, big 80s acts, like, had a, b- a lot of big hits and stuff like that in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, and they had just done, they had done, um, fold your hands, child, you walk like a peasant. And so, and that, I don't think that was a big, very successful album for them. And artistically, I don't know how it was commercially, it doesn't really matter, but artistically for them, I don't think it was a very successful album. I think it's very fragmented and there's a lot of stuff going on there that it's not, doesn't have like a unifying vision, which was Stuart's, which was Stuart Murdoch's vision of the band. And that's what he brought for the first few albums. And then I think he felt kind of pressured by the band members to be more be more willing to allow them to have their songs on there as well so it has Stuart David songs which I think are kind of boring and it has I don't think Isabel Campbell songs are on there but 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 you know what I mean like so everyone was kind of adding more and more songs to it and I think it kind of diluted the product a little bit and so this album feels like he really took the reins back but also they I think they wanted to make a change and 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 you know they'd been having Tony Dugan who isn't like a professional producer. He was a guy who, who worked in a studio, but he's not like a professional producer, like a Trevor Horn or something like that. He was just a, a guy who was an engineer who happened right. to be working on the day they recorded their first album. And because they felt comfortable with that, they just kept using yeah. him. Yeah. And so when Trevor Horn approached them, I think they were kind of open to this idea of maybe changing, maybe letting someone who had more arranging skills and, and had more knowledge of how, how to work in a and just more studio. Yeah, more, too, stu- right? more experience. Exactly. And then also probably um, connections. Yes, connections and, but which, yeah. like Which is like a really big part of being in any sort of entertainment industry or yeah. I mean really any industry, right? Like you want to have connections to people. Yeah. So apparently his daughter was a big fan oh, of Bell nice. and Sebastian and she played him stars of track and field 
And he listened to it and he thought, oh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. This band would be even better if they had a good producer. Yeah. And so he, appro- and he approached right. them. Yeah. And I think he was right. I think yeah. I think having him as a producer kind of put a lot of weight on them, like weight to, uh, to perform. Because mm-hmm. they're just like, well, this is not just Tony now. This yeah. is like a Trevor Horn who's yeah. you know, produced Frankie Goes to Hollywood, produced all these big acts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess we better better step up to the plate here. And so, yeah, it certainly made for a, a better album. But curiously, Trevor Horn wanted them to keep, to leave Stay Loose off the album because he felt, he felt, A, he thought it was too stylistically different from the rest of the album, that it was kind of jarring. No. But also, I disagree with that too. Yeah. But also he thought, because it had like kind of an 80s sound to it, hmm. he, people would be go like, oh, well, Trevor had his hand oh, in this song. Yeah. He certainly made them change their sound and do right. this, you know, and he, he didn't want to have that that's, weight of, on that song. I think that's a fair assessment. Or just like a fair feeling of like, you're coming in and you are a bigger name than this band has worked for. You are potentially going to influence well them known yeah. than the more well-known than the band is yeah. in certain circles yeah right like i can see how people could look at that and feel like oh the band is just getting steamrolled by this guy yeah. like, it's not nope. bell sebastian anymore now it's trevor horn's band yeah yeah whatever, yeah right? yeah yeah exactly and um yeah so yeah they, they didn't listen to him though thank goodness yes because it's a very good song and, and it's a very good a very good album ender yeah totally. and a very good mixtape ender as well it is. and that's where the mixtape ends mary so good. Overall feelings about this mixtape? Good. I in, liked it. You liked it? Yes. That's good. I, You know, I only heard back from a few people about their mixtapes. I didn't hear back. Like, not very many people wrote back to say, loved it. Thank you so much. Or anything like that. Hated it. Hated it. Never want to hear from you again. <laughs> it's you don't have to listen to the podcast anymore because <laughs> songs are so terrible. Just like things you'd expect people to say. Maybe. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm glad I didn't hear back from people. <laughs> you put it like that. So yeah, no, it was kind of it was kind of just sending them out into the into the universe, and I just sort of threw them out there, and that's fine. I mean, I didn't expect people to write back, but I just always wonder sometimes, like especially with someone like Bob Evans, who I think is a very good guitar player, and so I, I kind of wonder if he's like, why did he send me all these like simple-minded songs or whatever, <laughs> like, you know? But oh well, that's fine. You get what you get. You get that moment. You get that moment in my life, everyone. That's what you get when you get a mixtape. Okay, so Mary. Yeah. If people would like to write to us, and we really do hope they will, how do they go about doing so? They can find us on SneakyDragon.com. Okay. So every episode gets posted on there, and they can leave a comment on each episode. Um, Although... What's wrong? Did you say that this is episode 48? Yeah. Am I wrong? Is it 47? No, but... Oh, no, no, never mind. Oh. oh, never mind. No, I was wrong. I was okay, wrong. okay. I thought I, I got, got my count wrong. So I've been. I was looking at. <laughs> no, I was looking at episode forty-seven on here, but I got confused because the comments were talking about the Partridge Family, and I was like, Oh, oh that was we... the top five one. Sorry, but I did that alternate top five. That's, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. So I just got confused. I know. I can see you were thinking of it was a show before that one, yes. but yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, does that one not get posted? But no, it did. <laughs> um, anyway, so you can reach us on sneakydragon.com. So each episode gets posted on there, and you can comment. Um, we often get a couple comments per episode. You can read through those and see what other people think and you can add their own thoughts, which is pretty nice. I like yeah. to read those. Yeah. I do enjoy that too. I like when there's back and forth. And uh, in a few shows, we'll go through some of our mail. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. I like doing that. That was a fun. A couple episodes ago. Yeah. Um, you can also email us directly at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com or on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon or on Facebook at sneaky dragon. Cool. You can also listen to dad and approximately 18 other podcasts which all can be found on sneaky dragon on um wherever you listen to podcasts i guess sure or 
We're on we're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. We're on iTunes. Are we on Spotify? We're on. I applied to Spotify, but I don't know if it if they accepted it. Hmm. I don't know. I guess I could find out. I guess you can, but not right now. Okay. Uh, and if you are looking for ways to contact us, if you go to the website, we have a contact us on the menu, and you will find our snail mail address there. You're welcome to write snail mail letters to us. Those are kind of neat to get. And there we go. So, everybody, thank you for listening this week. We really do appreciate it. Mary had a bit of a health scare this week, so I'm glad that she's uh, feeling better. Oh, yeah. I was going to talk about that, but then we started talking about something else at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. But yeah, I had to get a COVID test done yesterday. Yeah. How did that go? Uh, it was it was pretty it was very well organized. Yeah. Um, you just I don't know how it's going other places, but here in BC, you just drive to your nearest testing location. You yeah. don't have to make an appointment or anything. Okay. You just go there. Um, there are some drive-through locations, but just because of where I am, we don't have a drive-through location. It was at the Chilliwack Public Health Unit. Okay. Um, because I decided because I was. Coming back from helping my in-laws move this mm. weekend, and mm-hmm. I started to feel kind of sick, and so I decided to stay in Chilliwack rather than come back to Aldergrove yeah. to potentially expose Dad and Mom <laughs> and Eve. Yeah. Um. So I stayed in Chilliwack, and I had to go to the Chilliwack Public Health Unit, and I just drove there and went and lined up, and a nurse came by when I was in the lineup and was asking everyone their name, their phone number, their symptoms, and then the way it was kind of long... Um. But I think it was probably about an hour huh? overall. Yeah. But it was really busy. Hope you brought a book. I did bring a book. It was really busy because it was a Monday morning. Okay. Um. So they, I'm pretty sure that that location is closed for testing on Sundays. I see. So Mondays are particularly busy. Hmm. Um. And I want Monday. So you go in and then you have to go in and give all your information again after waiting in line outside. Yeah. And then you have to go sit in a chair waiting which is included in my hour of waiting but also because i'm a healthcare worker technically because i yeah. work in assisted living they had like more questions for me okay like have you been part of any outbreaks which i've not been stuff like that yeah um and then they stuck a big old swab in my nose <laughs> and touched the back of my brain with it <laughs> and it was kind of startled you it wasn't very fun yeah but it was fine it didn't like hurt yeah kind of pinched yeah um, That's how I've heard it described as a pinch. Yeah. Someone at work got it done, and she said that the doctor or the nurse who did it with to her was very experienced, mm. and she said that for her, it felt like <coughs> when you're swimming yep. and your like nose is underwater... So that's what it felt like, but only for the one nostril. Hmm. I did not feel that. I felt like it felt like someone was sticking a Q-tip into the back of my head, <laughs> which I think is maybe a bit more accurate. Yes. But I heard from someone else who said that her friend yeah. got it done, or one of her coworkers got it done, and was like sneezing up blood clots. Wow. Um, and that did not happen to me. Mm-hmm. I went back to my car, and my eyes were watering a lot, and I had to blow my nose. And I could still feel it for like the next hour, yeah, but it was yeah, fine. Yeah. But then I... um. Yeah, and then it had like an anxious 30-ish hours. Sure, and you I got called. the news? I called this morning, and they were, they were super busy in the morning, I guess, because everyone's trying to get their results. Oh, okay. But I called this morning and um, went to like a voicemail that was like, we're oh, but then the other thing is you can apply to get um, the results by text, which mm. I do, but they say it's faster if you call in. Yeah. So I decided to call in to see, um, and they, oh yeah, so I called this number, and they were like, it like rang and rang and then it went to a voicemail that was like, if you are reaching this, we are busy with other customers or clients or whatever, patients. Um, if you have applied for the text thing, we will give you a call back. Yeah. 
don't keep calling to get your results. <laughs> and I was like, okay. But then I, ha- I was supposed to have an optometrist appointment this afternoon okay. to buy my glasses, which I was supposed to have yesterday. Yeah. But I rescheduled it to this afternoon, hoping I would have my results, Yeah. which I did not. So I called at one o'clock and I talked to someone and he said um, that they had, I'd gotten my test done probably at about 10 a.m. Monday. Yeah. He said that the lab had gotten my test at 2 p.m. Monday. Okay. And he said it would take about 24 hour turnaround from there. Oh, I see. Um, and so I called at one. So I called a little bit early. Mm. And he said, but they close at 4.30. That's when they stop sending out results. He said that they send out like mass texts, mm. I guess, every like, however, like 15 minutes or whatever. Okay. Um, so he said that if I don't hear back from anything today, that I should call back to right, like, right at 8.30 tomorrow morning. Um, and then 4.30 came and went and I was like, oh, I guess I'll hear tomorrow morning. But then at f- a little after five, I got a phone call from someone from Langley, which I guess is where they sent the samples. Yeah. Or the test thing, the swab. And I was kind of anxious because they say that they'll text you if it's a negative and they'll call you if it's positive. Oh. And so when I got the phone call, I was like, oh. (laughs) But then I answered and it was a doctor and she said that it was negative. Oh, that's good. So that was good. Yeah. Um, But it was, yes. Yeah. So I'm feeling more calm about that. (laughs) People keep being like, oh, how do you feel? And I'm like, well, I feel fine. Like, I feel like I have a cold, Mm. right? Like, I have a sore throat. I have been coughing a little bit. Yeah. I've been sneezing. I have a stuffy nose. Like, I had a bit of a headache. Yeah. Um, to be fair, you were staying up where there was a giant forest fire. That's the other thing is where I was staying, there was a big forest fire. So, yeah. I was like, it's possible that I'm just reacting to that, too. Yeah. You might, your th- throat might be a bit sore from yeah. breathing in the particulates oh, totally. and stuff. I mean, that. it didn't seem very smoky there when I was up there, mm. but, like, there was a massive forest fire and a bunch yeah. of people had to get evacuated and yeah. stuff. So, yeah. um, but... Yeah, and people keep saying, like, oh, how do you feel? I'm like, well, I feel fine. But, like, a lot of people who have it feel fine, but I work with seniors. Hmm. So even if I feel fine but have COVID symptoms, I don't want to go into work. Yeah, yeah. Right? Because I don't want to potentially expose people, like, residents, right? Yeah, yeah. Because I feel fine with it, but if they got it, they wouldn't feel fine. Yeah. Right? And yeah. even though we hand sanitize all the time, I always wear a mask when I'm around residents. You know, you never know. They often don't. They don't wear masks yeah. usually, and yeah. like, yeah, you never know. Things can happen, right? I don't want to be the person who brings that in there. Yeah, no, because no. we haven't had any cases still. Yeah, want to keep it that way. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yep. All right, Mayor. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me. Yeah, I'm glad the... I was able to come. We had to reschedule this. Because yes, of, we did because of this, and I'm glad we were able to do it today. Yeah, I'm really, I'm yeah. really glad. I was I was thinking I was like, oh man, I haven't heard from them by four thirty. Like, <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do with the podcast. Well, but... we, we we could have done it remotely, like we True. did before. Although so. I didn't have my computer with me. Oh, you didn't have your computer? No, it's oh, here. it's here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a mess. Yeah. Well, it all worked out. It all worked out. It was meant to happen, everyone. Yes. That is the that is the the lucky sign over Stu Stu Studio. Yep. A little rainbow. All right. Well, take care, everyone. We'll see you in a bye week. Yes, well, in a fortnight. I don't think that's a thing. It is. I don't think bye week's a thing. It is. It's not. It's not, <laughs> but okay. Bye, everyone. What do you mean it's not? Listen, Mary. Yes. If something comes out every two months, mm-hmm. what's it called? Bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. If something comes out every two weeks, it's called bi-weekly. Fortnightly. No. Yes. I think you're mixed up. If something comes out twice a week, it's called bi-weekly. That doesn't make any sense at all. That's very confusing. If something comes out twice a month. Would it also be called... No, it's going to be... Yeah, see, it doesn't make sense, does it? Well, I'm not... You're confusing things, Mary. I think the English language is confusing things. <laughs> and what a good bookend for the episode. Thank you, linguistics, for having a 
Giving us a weird language that is of patchwork quilt. <laughs> it's a mosaic. All right. Bye. Bye.